Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Okay. <laughs> Things are getting a little strange here at Action Radio. Um, this week, well, actually the last couple of weeks, we basically lost about half the show. And so uh, we're going through some big changes here. I don't know exactly how it's going to shake out. I mean, the basic mission hasn't changed. We're still the world's only citizen legislature attached to a radio show. But our, our guests are changing uh, for the better. I mean, we're, we're getting some incredible people on and some folks who have been just fabulous. You know, I wish them well, but some amazing people who have told us some incredible things um, over the last I don't know, sometimes six months, sometimes a year, two years, sometimes since we started four years ago. Uh, Everybody uh, seems to be having life-changing things going on. So I guess there's a huge transition going on. Uh, What that means is I've got two hours before our special guest. Our special guest – now, here's where it gets gets, – also very interesting. Our special guest today is uh, President Trump's senior advisor, Peter Navarro. And so he will be on in two hours at 9 o'clock. And so it's going to be just amazing. I mean, this is this is going to be pretty incredible here. Uh, I sort of hesitated to broadcast this earlier because I want to kind of, you know, protect the phone lines a bit. And I think we're OK. I think we're going to be OK. And so the folks that are listening, because uh, most people listen by podcast. So uh, they're going to catch this on a podcast, which is fine. And so we're OK. No, things went well. Uh, yesterday, we had uh, State Senator Wendy Rogers from Arizona, another national figure, nationally known, uh, absolute Trump supporter, America first, uh, a real fighter. And we had a fabulous time talking to her. In fact, she stayed a little bit longer um, than expected, which is great. You know, you usually hear in 20, 30 minutes of the absolute outside, and she was with us 40 minutes. So we had a good time. We got a lot accomplished, and uh, hopefully I'll be talking to Senator Rogers many times in the future, especially regarding uh, ideas that we have here that she may or may not be able to adapt to Arizona. Uh, That's up to her, and this is why I keep saying over and over again, and I will continue to say that Action Radio, we write bills for submission to the legislature um, following the constitutional process. I mean, that's the whole point here. That's why we have a legislature, and that's why we have a constitution. So nothing we're doing is unconstitutional or, or uh, you know, sneaky or nasty or underhanded or, you know, anything but transparent, as they say. Everything is above board. All our bills are post. Everything is wide open. Uh, and so when, uh, you know, whatever we do here is very open to see. You can check our bills at writeyourlaws.com. You can listen to the show here, uh, you know, and just uh, if you want to find out what's going on, call us. In fact, uh, my... Uh, my favorite regular caller is with us right now, Pianchi. Good morning, sir. How you doing? Oh, fine, Greg. And yourself? I am well. Um, thanks for following all our time changes. We've had to do a lot of different things here to accommodate our guests, and it's worth it. You know, we had uh, I started the show later yesterday so we could get Senator Rogers from Arizona because they're two hours behind us. I started the show an hour later today so that we could get uh, Peter Navarro, and so we have. Uh, it, it, but also, we've lost. Uh, Jim Dykes just told me that uh, he can't do the Second Amendment report. Uh, our, our wellness women are, are pursuing their own business. Captain Tom Stewart, who used to do our defense report. Uh, and, of course, we've lost Dr. Peter Pry, who died. Um, and so we've had a lot of changes go on here in a very short period of time. Now we have some new reporters. Uh, we've got uh, Juliet Ramos and uh, hopefully Heather Strickland, once her, her book is released, we'll get her going. And we've got Dorothy Diana, who's new. We have new reports. But things are changing here uh, very quickly. Uh, and yet we're getting the most incredible people on the show, as I was just saying before you called, Wendy Rogers and today Peter Navarro, 
who is directly connected with uh, Trump 2024, something that I hope we get uh, connected with very, very strongly as well. So that's how I am. How are you? Well, you have to do the best for your guests. Mm-hmm. And it looks like you're trying to do and accomplish that very well. I'm doing well, thank fine. you. Yeah. Well, and, and if for anybody who's listening and wonders as we skip around, I always post the shows ahead of time. You can always check the schedule. I will try to keep it to 7 a.m. Central, 8 a.m. Eastern to start. Of course, that'd be 6 a.m. Mountain, 5 a.m. Pacific time. But in order to accommodate our guests, as Bianchi just said, I'm going to go to, to great lengths to get these folks. It's more important to get the people onto the show to, to spread the message of Action Radio and to talk about our bills. And so this is what I'll be doing. Now, with Peter Navarro, uh, he has a book out, and we're going to spend most of the time talking about his book. But if he has, and I, but I will introduce our bills to him uh, before we get going. And if there's any time at the end of the show, if you want to stick around, uh, if he's here longer than his, his uh, time that they told me, if he's here longer than 30 minutes, uh, I'd like to introduce him to a couple of our bill writers. It would be you, possibly uh, Jonathan, if he calls in, uh, Amber, if she can check in, uh, Josie. You know, and so uh, we will see. We'll see what happens. And it would be brief, you know, give a brief introduction. Uh, but I think it would be really important for him to see that us regular people out here uh, are doing things that the entire membership of Congress seems incapable of doing. The entire committee staff of Congress is incapable of doing. The entire staff of Heritage, Cato, the Hoover Institute seems incapable of doing. And I don't know why it's, it's on us. I don't know why. You know, this collection of people that have gathered under Action Radio have this ability to write simple, straightforward uh, legislation that is earth-shattering in impact, but very simple to read. Uh, why us? <laughs> you know, I don't get it. I mean, I love it because I, I don't mind being the only source of, of creative ideas in the entire conservative movement, America First movement. I'm just very surprised. Well, yeah. I like the movement and very much happy to be a part of it and would further dedicate my time and effort and make it work out or make well, America better. Well, you're a huge part of it. You're a huge part of what we do here. You know, you call all the time, you support me, you know, and, and, and a lot of times, because I end up talking to myself, I don't want to do that. I've got two hours, you know, before Peter gets here. So I don't want to sit and talk to myself. That's no fun. So I really appreciate the fact that you're here uh, to do that. I do have a lot of material um, to go over. And so uh, I was sort of scouring over his book the last I don't know, a couple of weeks here and there, a little bit here, a little bit there. It's really quite fascinating. Now, the best parts of the book are the beginning and the end, so we'll, we'll cover that a little bit too. But there's a lot of news. There's a lot of things going on in the news, and I have several articles for it. One of the things I find interesting, inflation, which everybody's reporting, the, the, the distortions in the news, even in, in, especially in Fox News, which I expect more of, but I shouldn't because they keep disappointing me, talks about the inflation from last year. And in, in other words, there was an 8.2% uh, rise since last year. One American News is reporting that it's 13.5% since Brandon, you know, took the White House. I mean, literally took the White House. Um, and if you look at uh, this an organization called Shadow Stats that measures the economic metrics the way they did before Clinton, who changed the way they measure things. By that measure, by the, the original measure of inflation, it's over 30%. So there's some breaking news for you. You know, it's, it's, yes, much, it worse. it's much worse than they're forecasting. But uh, shadow stats, I, I, I do a lot of research on shadow stats, unemployment, uh, inflation, different indices, and Clinton changed the numbers. People forget that. Clinton changed the way the numbers are measured. If you look at unemployment, let's say 3 4 5%. You know, when Obama was, uh, was president and they were talking about 5 6 7% inflation, it was really closer to 20% if you measured it the way it was measured during the Depression. Because if you remember during the Depression, they talked about 20 to 25% 
uh, unemployment. Well, it wasn't much less than that during the Obama administration, but that never gets reported. Unless, you know, Jim, I've forgotten his last name, uh, at Shadowstats, and it's shadowstats.com, S-H-A-D-O-W-S-T-A-T-S.com, Shadowstats. And they measure economics the classic way. And so that's the situation we're in, <laughs> you know, and again, not reported. Huh. Well, under so Trump, mm-hmm. under Trump, oil imports was right at uh, $51 billion, down for about $116 billion before he came in. But now under Brandon, it's $365 billion, even after the robbing of the strategic oil reserves. Well, let me ask you about that because I have a theory, and I, I may have talked to you about this before. I'm not sure. This, this week's kind of a blur with uh, all the prep and all the guests. But it seems to me that, well, first of all, the math is that Brandon's releasing a million barrels a day. The Saudis cut two million barrels a day. So net, the, the world is down. And he's not releasing it to us. He's releasing it worldwide for the worldwide price of oil. So net, the world is still down a million barrels a day. That's huge. I don't think that's an accident. They, they chose to cut back a million more than Brandon was releasing of our oil, our taxpayer-paid oil. He has no right to do that, and yet they're doing it anyway. And, of course, you know, the, the, the minions just go along with it. But they like you – know, it's not that the left hates oil. The left hates American oil. The left hates American workers. The left hates American pipelines, and Nord Stream 2 for that matter. But they don't mind buying oil from Saudi Arabia. They don't mind getting it from Venezuela. They don't mind giving nukes to Iran. You know, they just don't want us to have nuclear power or nuclear weapons. You know, it's like they're, they're against us and for literally everybody else, particularly our enemies. But they have this hatred of American petroleum. And yet they use it all the time. They use it for the jets. They use it for the limousines. They use it to travel around the world. And they're perfectly happy with everybody else's oil. And they want them to have. They're trying to get them more natural gas and oil to uh, Europe. But not to us. So what is it about the left that hates American, Americans, America, and American energy? Got any theories? Well, I couldn't, I couldn't pinpoint it directly, but it seems to me the way to get into deals that with entities that have a tendency to sponsor some of these foundations like the Clinton Foundation, on and on and on. And we, yeah, of course, we know that foundations do make charitable, not only charitable, but political contributions that end up in the coffers of some of these politicians. That's, that's going to be a study. Josie sort of got me inspired to do that, is to look into where the money is going in Ukraine. And I don't know what kind of sources I'm going to find. I'll try, you know, but I can only find what's online. And of course, the really good stuff, you, you need inside information. This is why I love having guests and people come on that actually know what's going on. But that's, that's going to be an investigation. You know, follow the money. Where does the money go when it goes to Ukraine? How does it come back? Now, we know that a lot of times foreign aid ends up back in the, the pockets of Democrats and Republicans because they have to buy things, you know, that are owned by, you know, by those people uh, or they, it comes back in investments. So in other words, uh, if they could do farm equipment and the people in Congress know that a, a whole bunch of aid is going for farm equipment, you know, they'll buy stock in Caterpillar or they'll buy stock in, you know, Combine or Seed Makers or Monsanto for GMOs or things like that. So there's vested interests in, in foreign aid and working it to make money. So Congress is not a place where people should go to make money. That, that's not the idea is to, to rig the business world. But that's what's happening. So Ukraine, you know, I, I started getting suspicious of Ukraine when I saw everything kind of going there. You know, whenever it came to, uh, uh, you know, uh, Biden Jr., Hunter Biden's business dealings, it was Ukraine. 
when it came to impeachment, they went immediately to Ukraine. I thought, wait a minute, we were just there for bad business dealings. You know, when there were scandals, when there were political problems, when there was, you know, money that uh, um, was due, billions of dollars. And, uh, you know, Joe said that, uh, well, you're not going to get the money if you don't fire the prosecutor who was going after his son. And all these indications were, and everything seems to be coming back to Ukraine. I think, why is this all going back to Ukraine? And then this is like three or four years ago. This is when I became really suspicious of Ukraine. And you look around, and, and all roads lead back to Ukraine. So that's got to be the, the Democrats and Republicans, you know, money laundering piggy bank. So money goes to Ukraine, and then I'm not so interested in how much the money goes there, although it's tragic, $100 billion so far. But where does it go after that? It's not going to the war. <laughs> you know, it's going to uh, Luchinsky, Lewinsky, whatever his name is. I can never see his name. Who's the president of, of, of Ukraine? I always forget his Zelensky, thank you. I always forget his name. Uh, anyway, so apparently Josie was saying he has beachfront property in, in Florida, so I'm going to have to look at that too. I want to get some confirmation. But why, you know, here's the other big question, and I'm not expecting an answer. I just want your thoughts on this. You know, why do all roads lead to Ukraine? Is that, you know, our, the deep state piggy bank and money laundering uh, center? Because that's what it looks like to me. Well, your joint, your head of your joint chief of staff once worked for the defense company that makes Stinger missiles, and uh, they are being sent to the Ukraine. So, yes, these connections uh, do exist. Mm -hmm. And for the services and the favors, you have uh, money being splattered back into the pockets of way or another of these individuals. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm curious. uh, I don't know if I'll be able to have a chance to raise that with Peter Navarro. Um, like I say, I got so into this book the last little bit. It's really quite interesting. Let me read you something from the book. I'm curious to your reaction uh, to this. This is this is part one. His book is Taking Back uh, Trump's America. Uh, let me make sure, make sure I get that right. Yeah, Taking Back Trump's America. And chapter one, uh, and this goes to something that I hear all the time. In fact, I was talking to a friend yesterday. You know, they don't like Trump because, you know, he's, uh, you know, nasty tweets and people hate him and all this other kind of stuff. I said, well, what about all the things he did? He did. And they're like, well, I don't know about that. And I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? So people have this perception because the media lies about Trump, all these terrible things. So Peter Navarro starts up his book. Uh, this is part one, Arrest of Lion, Wintering in Mar-a-Lago. Uh, and the quote, the first, the intro quote is from Stephen uh, Bannon, who I want to get on the show too, Steve Bannon. He says, elections have consequences. Stolen elections have catastrophic consequences. <laughs> it's a really good line. So Navarro says, just why exactly was it that you might not have voted for Donald Trump in 2020? Was it because of the strongest economy in modern history that Trump created with record low unemployment, nary a whiff of inflation and rising real wages, particularly for the blue collar and black and brown Americans? Or was it because Trump cracked down on the communist Chinese economic aggression, forced an uneasy peace upon North Korea and Iran and kept Vladimir Putin tightly pinned down in a strategic box or was it or or maybe it was uh, trump's uh, securing of our southern border and global supply chain while he rebuilt america's manufacturing and defense industrial base or maybe just maybe it was those damnable tweets if so how's that working out clearly not very well as under joe biden's regime it's obviously it's not administration it's a regime everything that can go wrong seemingly is going wrong that's brilliant <laughs> This is how he starts the book. 
you know, and, and people that the perceptions, because the media doesn't tell people all the accomplishments, people hate Trump, but they have no reason to hate Trump. They hate Trump for reasons that don't exist, that were made up by the media, as opposed to noticing what actually did happen, noticing how their lives improved. And now when things suck totally, you know, they're not blaming Brandon because the media is not, uh, you know, blaming Brandon. Just, oh, you know, it's, it's still Trump's fault. Uh, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a perception problem. But it's fascinating to me how easily people are led away from all those accomplishments that uh, um, Peter Navarro outlines in his first uh, paragraph. What do you think? Well, he's pretty accurate. That, that, that kind of analysis that is oftentimes neglected, yeah. and probably for good reason, because many people wouldn't understand what's being talked about. They're more or less acclimated and going by the hype and the emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't expect people to follow the news the way you and I do. I don't expect, uh, you know, in fact, people shouldn't have to be bothered with, with all of that stuff, you know, because it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's a lot of things going on. I do it because it's, it's my business to do it, um, and I'm interested in it. And, but I'm looking at the perceptions. I'm looking at the psychology. I'm looking at all the things that aren't being reported. I'm looking at a, a whole range of things. Uh, and I'm looking at how we can affect citizen legislation to fix the things we, we can fix and which things, uh, you know, are systematic problems that we're going to have to, uh, you know, tackle another day with a whole, whole lot bigger audience. So those are the things that, um, that I'm looking at. It's really kind of interesting. Well, they back into the old acclimate of trying to get people to come out to vote for all kind of various reasons and rewards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you look at the tendencies, and the onslaught, this has been going on for quite some time, and they constantly go back to these marginalized populations within this country mm-hmm. and seemingly want to hammer on them. But at some point in time, they should realize that uh, from the beginning up until now, there's no appreciable change in their lifestyle. And now, in some cases, it's gotten even worse. And see, But that goes to perception again. I mean, this is the same argument we're making, is that people – you know, they can lose all kinds of stuff not, uh, and, and still think their life is better if they're told it's better, or they can get all kinds of things until their life is worse, even though it's better. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating thing how this works. But, I, you know, let's talk about this, this whole idea of marginalized populations. What makes a population marginalized? So, uh, you know, because that means, that means uh, somehow disadvantaged. Now, I've never bought into that. It just it doesn't make sense to me. You know, that's uh, the entire population, because well, you've got – yeah, go ahead, and then I'll, I'll – I'll say what I was thinking. The, yeah. One of the biggest contributions, one uh-huh. of the biggest contributions is, I guess you could say is two. One is the family, the lack of, then the second biggest one is your education. And you you like to agitize that education as being government sponsored, which in many cases, in some areas, it is exactly just that. Mm-hmm. And if you are lacking at least those two, then you will have a marginalized chance of being successful in uh, in this world, in this United States. I mean, you look at the, all the kids that go out to play football, mm-hmm. and when out of the uh, millions, you only have less than 1.6% that make it to the pros. Now, but that's not that a, there is a great expenditure, expenditure of human life, if you would yeah. ask me, for the reward that's this uh, but that's the way it works for everything. I mean, how many CEOs are there compared to how many workers, how many employees, how many successful entertainers compared to those that are doing, you know, local light opera? I mean, how many of anything? 
how many billionaires are there? What a difference. You know, how, you know go ahead. How many presidents have there been? Yeah. The difference here, Craig, that these athletes aren't being educated. They're not coming out with their dreams, and they're not coming out with a degree. Uh-huh. You know, it should be a balance. But if you uh, pursue in one direction, you find that ends up in a dead end. Well, those that's prepared can come and retrace their tracks and take a different route before they made that uh, devastating turn. But mm-hmm. they don't even coming out with degrees. That's where the problem is. Well, how much is a college degree worth now that we think about it? You know, you look at – I was just listening to a special. They had a panel on uh, uh, Fox this morning. I listened to One American News and Newsmax. I'm trying to, you know, bouncing back around all of them. The, the ACT scores are hopeless right now. Uh, and these are the people that are college-bound. These are the top students, you know, in the high schools, and their scores have declined precipitously. You've got a lowered education standard, and you look at the colleges. What are they teaching? You know, critical race theory, um, LGBTQ stuff they're teaching. Uh, the country is, is a horrible place. And, and uh, you know, you've got these liberal, woke, leftist, wacko professors. I'm not sure that a college degree is really worth anything anymore, unless you're in a very specific uh, profession. Uh, say you're training for med school or you're training for law school or you're training for engineering, you know, doctorates or things like that. Um, but a basic college education is a pretty worthless thing. So I'm wondering if one of the ways to fix college uh, is to stop encouraging people to go unless they have a very specific reason to do it. You know, because most of the, of the world, you, you look at European students, Australian students, you know, folks that I, that I met through my life, you know, most of them learn by the end of high school what our students learn by the end of college. So the, it's not that the college degree is worth that much. Uh, it's just actually an extension of education. It spreads out, you know, 12-year education into a 16-year education. But it doesn't teach you any more stuff well, yes, at, the, uh, at the undergraduate level. I hear some coaches say that tests don't mean anything, yet and still they invite players out to a combine, which is nothing more than a test. Yeah. Well, there's tests, there's, there's tests yeah. and there's tests. You know, there's tests for a job. There's tests. You know, there are physical tests. There are mental tests. You know, a standard. let's talk about a standardized test. Fill in the dots. Do a little bubble test, okay? I never did well on those. Never. Because I would always, I could always find two answers that I could argue for, and so if you know it was luck, you know as to which answer would uh, would be the one that they're looking for. So the only way I was successful in tests was to try and think like a test maker. So I put myself in their head, and uh, you know, in fact, I took the LS, the, I took a sample LSAT, the 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 legal, the the law school uh, sample standardized test, and I did horribly on it. And the reason was that I could pick, I could take all four answers and argue for them, you know, but yet they want, if you want to think like a lawyer, which apparently I don't, um, according to this, <laughs> you know, um, it was like, it was very strange. I said, wait a minute, because, you know, the stuff we do on the show, you know, I, I'm, I'm literally writing laws, things that most lawyers can't do. And yet I couldn't, this, uh, I took a sample law school test and I did horribly on it. Um, not that I'm not good in the law, I'm not good at the legal test to get to law school. So that's another problem. Well, most people can't write laws because they don't know what the laws are. And they don't know, know what's wrong. When they say it. That's a really interesting point. Because it'll give some background action radio that uh, you and I might not have talked about. When I started this process, I really didn't know where I was going to go. I had no idea how complex the laws were going to be. I thought we were going to take months of study and we're going to have to go you know, send stuff out to lawyers. We have to, uh, 
um, do all this work and get committees, and, and, and it really was going to be a painstaking process because that's how they do it in Congress. Well, then I started actually reading the laws, <laughs> and I looked at them. I said, that's it? <laughs> Wait a minute. That's the problem? <laughs> that one sentence? That's it? You know, I can change. I can reverse vaccine product liability by simply saying, instead of saying that they shall not be civilly liable, saying that they are fully liable. That's it? That's all I have to do? So I, there was nobody more surprised than me when I started actually writing these bills. You know, this is back uh, four years ago, five years ago, 2017, when I started WBY. That's when I really started cranking out the bills because I had time. I had a full-time job. You know, I had time to do stuff, uh, and I was able to do most of the, a lot of the bills that we have now are bills that I wrote 2017, 2018, before the other station, you know, bought WBY and uh, I was out. Um, but the thing that I discovered that I had no idea about was actually how small in law the most devastating things are. It might be a sentence. It might be two sentences. It might not be much more than that. You look at big tech censorship. What allows big tech to censor everybody is one sentence in law. So you change that sentence. Well, the thing is that people don't understand how the politics work. They don't understand their role. You know, you can write all the laws you want, but you have to be able to control your elected politicians, especially Mm -hmm. at the federal level that's going to carry those laws, carry that right, written document that you created and hoping that you understand and have an analytical mindset, a critical thinking mindset in order to get it right. So yeah. if you don't know how to use them and if they don't obey you, politicians are supposed to obey their constituents. They're not mm-hmm. supposed to go to the big house and do things based on their, um, based on their hard convictions. It's not your hard convictions. It's not your fundamentals. It's what your constituents want. And until constituents start bringing those politicians back to the carpet and treating them like they should be treating them and getting rid of them like they should be gotten rid of, you're going to have a dilemma that still will exist. Yeah, I agree with you to a point, but I don't. And I'll tell you where I, uh, where I diverge uh, from this because the whole point of, of elected representatives is to have them exercise judgment. So if the public wants, you know, say we have George Soros spends a billion dollars on a, on a campaign that says you deserve $30 an hour and a guaranteed income, you know, whether you work or not. And, and, and you can convince 51% of the people to go, oh, that sounds good to me. Yeah, I'll, I'll take my time off. I'll watch football and drink beer and, you know, and have hot dogs and I'll sit around and, uh, you know, I'm entitled to $30 an hour just because I exist. That could happen. So this is where you need the legislature to say, uh, no. You know, the, most, uh, the definition of leadership is going against, you know, the popular will when you're right. <laughs> you know, you look at Billy Mitchell, who wanted air power in the 1920s. He was right, and he got court-martialed for it. But that was leadership because he was right, and he stood by his convictions. You know, uh, Martin Luther King stood by his convictions, even when the whole South was against him. You know, so uh, politicians, I want them exercising judgment. I want the leaders, the states people to stand up and say the popular will. Yes, we respect it. Yes, we take it into account. But in this case, you're wrong because it's not what the republic stands for. It's not what this country needs for freedom. Freedom requires responsibility and it requires work. And it's easier. This is why socialism is so popular because it doesn't require any responsibility or any work. Freedom is actually tougher, but the rewards are greater. Yeah, I never look at a poli- look at a politician as being a leader. Okay, the leader is the person that's able to rally the community. 
The leader is the person that's able to convey to the community what the standards should be and what they should be expecting. The leader should be to point out to them what their experiences are, what their reality is, and ask them and let them determine if they're good or bad. Then that group is the ones that choose amongst themselves to choose somebody that they're going to send off to the big house with marching orders. The big person house. that's up there, the politician, is not a leader. Yeah. Yeah, see, and this is where I disagree with you. Um, because I want people that go to office to be statespeople that have vision. You know, I think of like John Kennedy has vision. Peter Navarro, our guest, has vision. This is why I wanted him on the show because he will understand what we do here better than most people. So I was able to get past the minions, past the guardians, you know, past all this stuff. We have friends. We have friends in high places now. So I'm able to do things uh, with our show here that stretch beyond uh, my wildest dreams. Well, not my wildest dreams. got some pretty wild dreams. But the point is we're going to be able to have an impact uh, that's far greater uh, than the size of the show. And, that'll, and because of that impact, the size of the show is going to grow exponentially, I think, very quickly. And so things are going to change around here. Well, you I don't know, know where they're going to go, but things are going to change around here. Yeah. You know, there's leaders in every – there's winners and losers in every contest. The loser was a leader, too, and he failed. Mm-hmm. The winner was a leader, too, and they succeeded. Mm-hmm. The reason why come and they succeeded is because the people that sent them and expected things of them, mm-hmm. they came out and supported them. The other ones were those that were supporting them didn't come out in greater enough numbers, meaning that their idea was not popular among the greater population. Mm-hmm. I don't look at politicians being leaders. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. No, I see them as being that. No, this is these are. I think I think both you and I have have perfectly valid points of view. There's nothing that your view is absolutely valid. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's different than mine, but that's okay. That's how we. That's why we talk about these things. And let me tell yeah. you, give you an example. We had one okay. in St. Louis in, uh-huh. in first congressional district by the name of Lacey Clay. Yeah, I've heard that name. His children had to read in the paper that he had divorced their mother, and she didn't know about it. Now, would I oh, want wow. that as a leader? That sounds like a, a personal <laughs> that's, – that's an ethical problem. Yeah. No, I don't, you know, because they're not a leader. They're and a leader he stayed there for about 18 years. His father before him about 32 years. That's 50 years. Yeah. 50 years of that family ruled over that congressional district, <clears throat> which a large portion of it was black, North St. Louis, North St. Louis County. Mm-hmm. And you can see the results of it today, but nobody wants to recognize that. That's because well, another you have constituents that's not yeah. astute in understanding exactly what they should expect out of these people that they're calling their leaders, but they aren't leaders. No, and it's, I think Alcee Hastings, I don't know the whole story, but I think he uh, uh, was in Congress, got kicked out or arrested or something, and then ended up being a judge. <laughs> you know, There's another case. Uh, the Murkowski family. In Alaska, um, Murkowski Sr. changed the, uh, the voting rules or, or the way things are done so that uh, I think it's Lisa Murkowski could stay as a senator and Sarah Palin lost. You know, look at family, the Kennedy family in Massachusetts, the Bush family in, in, in Connecticut, uh, the Clinton family in Arkansas. Uh, there are dynasties all over the place, you know, of these various families. So I know exactly what you're talking about. 
and they become these little dynasties. But that's, you know, that's not leadership. That's just the accumulation of power. And, you know, you look at the Habsburgs, the Medicis, and all the different people throughout history, the very powerful families, the Rothschilds, and our own powerful families, the Carnegies, the, the Rockefellers, you know, the dynasty families. Here it was based on industrial uh, wealth, and in Europe it was based on, you know, royalty, family, arist- aristocratic wealth. But what you are is a populist. And, and I'm much more of a, of a republic, you know, fan. I don't say Republican because I'm not. I mean, I'm so registered, but I'll, I'll change that after the midterms. Um, but in terms of, of a republic versus a populist, so I'm much more of the structure, the rules, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, which you are too, but it's different because you see a leader as someone that should represent the people. And I see a leader as someone who should represent the people and, you know, be a statesman when the time calls for it to exercise judgment even when the popular will goes against that judgment. You know, you look at some of the wars we had, uh, the, the media, the, um, you know, the permanent war class whipped up uh, the war against Iraq. You know, it's like, oh, they're, 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 they're taking babies out of incubators. They're, they're doing this. They've got weapons of mass destruction. It was all a big lie. But, yeah. but most of the country went for it. Is, yeah. The new person I chose to be the pusher, P-U-S-H-E-R, uh-huh. And his direction was a set of drawings that we handed him and said, get it done, and these men will work with you. Well, if those men don't think that he knows what the heck he's doing and what he's doing is putting their life in danger, guess what? They're not going to work for him. Are you talking so about the lawyers? Point, Kevin, no, he's a, this, this is a crew. Instruction crew. So at oh, that okay. point in time, you got to remove them. Right. You have to remove them because the people, the workforce won't work for him because apparently they don't have confidence in it. It's just yeah, like no when respect. you have in a police department when you have a vote of non-confidence of mm-hmm. the chief or the leader. Yeah. And you sign that you got to get rid of that person. So, no, it's the same thing with these politicians. These politicians are elected under the wrong pretense and for the wrong reason. They change their mind. You shouldn't change your mind. It's not your mind to change. It's the direction that the people that voted for you want you to head to. When they say we want to be able to have control over our children, what mm-hmm. they study and where they study at, that's what they want, and you should work for it and not compromise. Well, and here's where I think you're absolutely right on. Uh, if you look at politicians that go with the teachers union against school choice because the teachers union gives them money, that's not being a statesman or a populist. That's not representing people at all. That's representing the union and representing the money. So you're absolutely right there. You know, and I don't have, uh, you know, I, I support you absolutely. And I support that uh, any politician who's taking money over children's lives and education does not deserve to be in office at any level of government from school board up to Congress. So you're absolutely right there. Uh, did you hear a chat with Wendy Rogers yesterday when she talked about the, um, the, the scholarship um, fund that they have in Arizona now? It's really good. I, I need to learn more about it. I, I heard you make mention of it, but I didn't listen to it. I had to take my car to the doctor. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was the car to the doctor. That's, 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 that's funny. Yeah, it's called the Empowerment uh, Scholarship Account, the ESA. And I heard a little bit about it from uh, Tina Terry, who's our person in Arizona, uh, who told me uh, that when this passed. And I looked into it, and it was nice, you know. So I knew a little bit about it when when it came up with Wendy Rogers yesterday, and so that was pretty cool. That was that was fascinating. But um, that's the kind of thing we need in Florida. So I'm going to get one of our local representatives. I'll send them the bill from Arizona and see if we can bring that here. But um, 
a lot of states are, are doing some incredible things. And the states are where a lot of the innovation takes place in the local governments. Uh, but what you need to do is model. And see, that was my, I haven't talked really about this too. My job in Washington when I worked for the, the Consumer Federation of America, you know, this is back in my liberal days. And of course, being in Washington for, uh, you know, the four months that I was here changed a lot of my views on things. But one of my jobs was to coordinate uh, with other Consumer Federation affiliates around the country, um, bill efforts. And so we looked into the different bills, and I used to publish a newsletter. And uh, I'm a 20-year-old college student, right? So I'm sending all this stuff out. And it was fascinating working with the groups and sort of, you know, letting them know what's going on in their districts and, uh, and all over the place and uh, what bills were happening. You know, so I was sort of like the, the, the liaison, you know, so I saw all these different things that was going on. But it's fascinating. You know, I'm not sure where I was going with this. I think I forgot my initial point. But, um, you know, what goes on uh, in D.C. Is, is, is quite an amazing thing. And, and uh, these groups, they put pressure on the representatives, you know, far and above what the population does because the people aren't organized. The teachers union, well, yeah, they have money. Well, yeah, right. When you look at the uh, people who's behind being against a convention of states, mm-hmm. or should I say against the people utilizing Article 5 of the U.S. Constitution. You have organizations like labor unions, you got Planned Parenthood, you got teachers unions, you got the Hillary Foundation. But when you look at those that are for it, they're just individuals. They don't have any titles yeah. to their name. They're not representative of any large corporations like J.P. Morgan, not representative of any entities like uh, some defense firms who are against that. The people yeah. being able to dictate basically what you talk about all the time. Yeah. Being no, your right to all that you're governed by. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but a convention of states is incredibly dangerous. It is fatally flawed. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. I've had some behind the scenes conversations. Um, and uh, it, it's very interesting that these people, and Mark Meckler, who I want to get back on the show, he's the head of the convention of states, smart guy, lawyer. You know, I think he's, he's very intelligent, but I think he's dead wrong on this. And the reason I think he's dead wrong is because he thinks he can control the debate. He thinks he can limit the constitutional convention or the convention of states to just the three issues that they want to talk about. And I'm here to tell you right now, I have seen too much in my short little lifespan uh, to, of what happens in Congress. I mean, directly, because I was there. I was watching, you know, debates take place of what happens, you know, in the media and the leftist media. And the, uh, and the rhinos will cave, and the leftist media and the liberal states, California, New York, Michigan, Illinois, will come racing in, and that convention will be destroyed, and the Constitution will be shredded. You do not want a convention of well, states. Well, it's not about shredding the Constitution. You Doesn't got 19 matter. states working with, I think it's 20 now. I think another mm-hmm. state has journal. What right. are the people that's wanted to do this? People should well, are, be, it should be known for people to know the powers that they have based on the Constitution. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. This is not the first time that this will come along. It's not the last time it will be able to come along. You have to get people back into the mode of understanding how things should be done. It should be done from the bottom up, not from the top down. No, I agree. That's why I started Action Radio. But I understand that a convention of states is not going to be limited to the states that vote for it. It's going to include all the states. Yeah, before it before we can well, it's going to include all the states, but it's going to, but per the directions in the Constitution, that's how it gets started. I know that uh, all the states just, is not going to yeah. come up. Yeah, no, I've got a, I have, I have Greg's plan. <laughs> this plan B. It's okay. like the Fourteenth uh, Amendment. Uh, any of the amendments was brought about. It was brought about by the directive that was allowed for it to be brought about as listed in the Constitution. 
uh, right. two-thirds, then three-quarters. Right. So it starts in Congress or it starts in the states. Now, I wish the, they didn't include a convention it's state. Though, to it should start in Congress, not Congress, but in the states. It Congress is never going to volunteer to make changes of themselves. They never will. Right. No, I know that. Well, no, actually, most of, the, most of the amendments to the Constitution have come from Congress, and unfortunately, most of the amendments have been bad. <laughs> you know, there's very few good ones, especially after the 14th Amendment. So let me see. So it would be Article 5. Article 5, Article 5, 3, 4. Oh, here we go. So this is problem is, and this is Article 5 of the Constitution of the Congress, whenever two-thirds of both houses shall deem it necessary, shall propose amendments to this Constitution. Or, and this is the part that you're talking about, on the application of the legislatures of two-thirds of the several states shall call a convention for proposing amendments. Now, I wish it had just said two-thirds of the states, you know, um, ratify, or two-thirds of the states uh, propose an amendment to Congress, to the Constitution, at which point three-quarters of the uh, uh, Congress would have to, no, was it three-quarters, or say three-quarters of the states must uh, ratify an amendment and then send it to Congress for a two-thirds vote. Okay, so that's the way I would do it. But the, it's the word convention is the word that, that screws everything up. Now, I, I know the Founding Fathers didn't think and they didn't see the media and they didn't well, you know, see the Well, back then, the time was written, right. that was a popular word at the time. <clears throat> yeah. But it has to be done. With, Congress gets its power from the states. Oh, I know that. But, but here's the thing, though. With, once they get there, Mm-hmm. Once they get there, they are not going to follow. It's just like saying the police should police the police. <laughs> you know what you mean? But here's – now, I'm not saying the state shouldn't be involved, but here's what I'm saying. I, so rather than a convention, I've got a way around that. The states pass a resolution. Now, resolution is not binding, but it still has impact because it shows the sense of, of the legislature. If three-quarters of the legislatures of the states, three-quarters of the states pass – a constitutional amendment resolution that Congress shall no longer borrow money. Okay. Three quarters of states passed that. That's pretty big because that means the voters in those states approve it. Otherwise they'd be screaming and yelling. So three quarters of the voters and three quarters of the states approve a resolution that Congress shall no longer borrow money. And that resolution says that Congress shall consider ratifying an amendment to the constitution to that effect with this language. Then if con- now, if Congress passes that by two-thirds in both houses and then sends it back to the states for ratification, since, thir- since three-quarters of the states have already ratified it in a resolution, it wouldn't take long to have that done. And that way you avoid a constitutional convention where you throw the whole convention open because the only thing you're considering is that one resolution of Congress shall not borrow money. So what this Congress can do, they can't call a convention themselves, only the states can. So you limit Congress to that one that one thing, that one amendment, Congress shall not borrow money. And then if they pass it, which, can, which will be done with lobbying pressure and all the usual things, right? We all advocate for that. If they pass that resolution in two-thirds of, the, uh, of both houses, it then goes back to the states who have already passed resolutions in favor of it to then ratify it. That's how you get around a convention. Why come Congress don't pass an act right now saying we shall not borrow money? Because they, they're, they're obsessed with borrowing money. They're addicted to borrowing well, money. Well, yes, they're obsessed with it, so they're not going to go about doing it that way. They're not exactly. going to do it. That's why you go to the states first. That's why three-quarters of the states pass a resolution insisting that they do it. And voters say, wait a minute, are you going to pass this amendment or not? And you start electing people to Congress that will pass that amendment. If they don't, where, do, throw their where do Congress members come from? The people from the congressional districts, from the states. 
they come from the states. Yeah, no, Congress, I, I federal government mm-hmm. gets its powers from the states. <clears throat> They're not going to work it backwards. They're not going to no. reduce their salary. They're not going to reduce their terms. They're not going to stop borrowing. They're not going to do it. Yeah, see, here's, now here's where I'm, uh, I think we have a, a window. We have a one-time-in-our-life window of opportunity of four years. Uh, I don't know how much can be accomplished, but I think if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be done between 2024 and 2028, Trump's second term. So here's what I see, and, and maybe it's just optimistic thinking on my part, but I think because Trump was in office, because he's had four years to reflect on this, because he's going to do things completely differently this time, because he's going to have a whole new set of people that are there in office, this is the time, this is the one opportunity when we might get that, that uh, amendment passed. Because Trump could say, look, I'm not going to pass any budget unless you guys you know, approve this, uh, this amendment to the Constitution. But you can call it extortion. You can call it anything you want. doesn't matter. Oh, I hear pinging in the background. Is that you? Somebody sending me messages, but uh, oh, okay. No, if, you, if you're waiting on the Congress, it ain't gonna happen. I'm not waiting on Congress. It's not I'm saying that that Trump with the popular it. will. So if Trump organize, you know, gets the population, talks directly to the people, all right, and hopefully enough media will will do. I'm curious what the media will say. You know, I, media, I, I, hopefully, I'm, are you hoping that media media is not going to do that? I. I know, but it, one it, of your media is one of the problems. Yeah. Well, now let's say we get our social media. We have with media. Yeah, but see, let's say we got our ban on on uh, censorship passed. You know, then, then things would open it? up. Congress by the same method. Congress like the people pass Congress. it because them. I mean, just think about this, Greg. Mm-hmm. They I need am. the media the way the media is, so that they can run lock shop the way they are. Right. Think about it. I do all the time. But I think I'm a little more optimistic yeah, so, than you. But that's okay. Yeah. Media is not going to – media – Congress is not going to do it. It's going to have to come from Peter's people the way it did with the Athens, Tennessee, and even to probably a greater extent. People have to do that. People paying that, for it. Yeah. Okay. People no. pay them. Stop, they pay. They're not going <laughs> to sit up there in the office they ain't getting paid. They can go work and have a job. They got yeah. bills that continue to grow. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Let me um, take a quick break here, and I want to do is I'm going to come back and give some more uh, Peter Navarro information. I got his about section from his website. I got some more of the book, and I think this will. Uh, this will be quite interesting for all of us. Let me take a quick break now, and then we have we have till nine o'clock, so we got another hour, you know, another hour and fifteen minutes uh, before our guest shows up. So we got lots of time. I may play an interview in the next hour. Depends how much uh, Pianka and I get to chatting, which we we do tend to do. So I'll be back um, in just uh, just a little bit here. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. 
Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Pankless Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at mypillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom. No liberty. No guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. All right, so I've been uh, shuffling around papers on my desk and rearranging my computer uh, so I could actually do the rest of the show here. Um, it's uh, this is an interesting day. Um, I'm going to change my my pillow ad. I don't like the uh, the music. I want to make it happier. <laughs> it's not as happy as it should be. I mean, pillows and happy are, are happy things. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, probably rework that this weekend. But uh, yeah, otherwise I'm, I like the other ones. Should be fun. So um, do you think I should play that the Biden's Dark Winter when Peter gets here? You think he'd appreciate it? Yeah, you could try it. <laughs> you might get a laugh out of it. It happens. Yeah, well, I think he's going to laugh at a lot of things we do. Uh, that's going to be interesting. All right, let me read something that I, I uh, got from um, his website. And so this is the about section from uh, PeterNavarro.com. 
uh, just to give you folks a little bit of background of, of the person that's going to come join us here in a, a little over an hour. Peter Navarro holds a PhD in economics from Harvard University and was a professor emeritus of economics and public policy at the University of California, Irvine, for more than 20 years. He served as assistant to the president and director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy at the White House during the Trump administration. He is the author of numerous books, including his China trilogy, The Coming China Wars, and that was in 2006, Death by China, 2011, and Crouching Tiger, 2015. At the White House, Dr. Navarro advised President Trump on policies to increase economic growth, decrease trade deficits, and strengthen America's defense industrial base. He also helped increase foreign military sales to allied nations and reformed conventional arms transfer and unmanned aerial systems policies. That's drones, folks. He produced the three volumes of the Navarro Report in his personal capacity to shed light on potentially potentially <laughs> illegal activity that may have occurred. May have occurred. <laughs> He's being really charitable during the 2020 presidential election. Let, 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 I would I would have rewritten that, you know, as you know, he wrote, he wrote three volumes on things that might have occurred. <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, I would be a little stronger in that language, but uh, that's that's who's coming. He's one of the good guys. And so uh, this will be uh, this will be a very interesting chat. I'm excited. I'm also a little nervous too because whenever I get someone of this caliber on the show, you know, even I get a little bit nervous just because, just because you know I want to make a good impression, and uh, and see if we can. Uh, this will be could be a quantum leap for us here at Action Radio. Yeah. So you know, like I say, if he's around long enough, I'll, I'll bring you back on if you want to get you know have a chat and talk about your uh, uh, your ballot initiative, which would be a good idea. So yeah. Yeah. What time is he coming on? Eight o'clock. Nine, uh, nine o'clock central time. So that's why I started the show an hour later because I only have three hours. And so uh, this is, and for folks that are listening, you know, and especially when you get the, when you get the podcast, it doesn't matter because you're listening whenever you feel like it. But those who try to listen live, um, I will vary the show times to accommodate these amazing people. Um, that's just, you know, I, you know what am I going to say to them? No. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, you can't have it. We decided to be, you know, off, you know, we only do it this hour. Give me a break. <laughs> so because I can schedule the shows when I want to, uh, that's why they're sort of bouncing around a little bit. But uh, the biggest change was our, our Thursday doctor's panel, which, Bianchi, I think you were busy for by the time we started at 10 o'clock in the morning central time. Um, but that was pretty incredible. But that ran 18 weeks, you know, and that mission is done. Yeah, that's well, a good, that's a good go gesture and good respect yeah. of the time constraints of your guests. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they might have more time, too. I mean, it'd be really great if, uh, if Peter had enough time to talk to uh, our Bill folks, you know, like you. And uh, I, I told um, Amber and uh, Josie and uh, Jonathan, uh, who are all reporters and Bill writers, if they want to uh, want to come on. All right. Let's uh, I sort of hesitate to do articles simply because I'd rather talk to you. It's much more fun. Uh, but there's this one. Let me see what I've got here. This one, this one, we are talking about inflation. I want to talk about inflation. What do you want to talk about? We've got so many different issues here. I got inflation. I got a gun article. I've got. Um, what did you did you hear my, the, my chat yesterday? I'm restoring America. The Washington Examiner piece. Almost two hours on that. Well over an hour and a half. You were there for that. Yeah, that I was there. I took my took my car to the doctor yesterday, so I didn't listen in on that. Okay. Well, let me. Um, I got a couple of things you might find. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that's in the news uh-huh. that uh, <clears throat> is a big miscarriage of justice, and that's this January 6th hearing. This is nothing yeah. but a deviant uh, demonic design to uh, keep Donald Trump from running for president. 
That's all mm-hmm. it is. It has no no tangible substance once you start getting into it and giving them the mm-hmm. opportunity to being forth all this excruciating uh, evidence of ill attempt on his half to overthrow the government. Mm-hmm. And they're not and sure where, because it doesn't exist. Yeah, and where were the geldings insisting on a seat at the table? Where were the geldings insisting on testifying before the committee and and, and basically, you know, devastatingly uh, showing what hypocrites they were? Where were the geldings from their own January 6th hearings at the Heritage Foundation or some other public place? Where were the Republicans doing anything in opposition to this committee? Didn't exist. Well, you're right. It would make for a better story. Yeah. So where were they? So my only conclusion is that the gelding Republicans, the gelding old party, the GOP, I can't say grand old party because there's nothing grand about them. The gelding old party uh, is not in the game. Where was the gelding old party when the January 6th political prisoners were were thrown into the D.C. gulag? How come they've been in there since January 6th of 2021? So we're coming up on two years. Well, yeah, January 6th, 2023, it'll be two years. And not one. And where is this? Where is the substance of people in period? Yeah. Where is the substance of people in period? Because just that alone Mm -hmm. is a miscarriage of justice. Holding people like that. Yep. And not one organized protest. Not one vigil. Not one member of Congress. Now, I know Matt Gates and uh, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene and uh, Louis Gomertz went there to try and view it and talk to them. But not one of them had a writ of habeas corpus. Not one of them had a judge's writ saying, prove the charges or these people are coming out. Show me the evidence. There was, you know, the entire Republican delegation, both the senators and the representatives, should have been at the D.C. Gulag January 7th or whatever they were arrested and said, look, we've got writs of habeas corpus. These people are coming out. Not one Supreme Court justice has issued a writ of habeas corpus. Where's Sam Alito? Where's Clarence Thomas? I don't trust the rest of them. They wouldn't even take the Texas election case. So where is anybody affording these people their constitutional rights? Where is Cato? Where is the Hoover Institute? Where is Heritage? Where are the complaints? Where's the organized protests? Where are the articles in the newspapers? Where is the media? Where are any of these foundations that take in millions upon millions of dollars of which a tiny fraction could change the whole national debate from Action Radio alone? Give me a marketing budget. I'll change the country and what Heritage spends on their luncheons. I love that line. Probably use it with Peter. Where are they? They're fat and happy and sitting on their massive multi-million dollar fundraising endowments, doing nothing. Except complaining, maybe, and going on talk shows and reinforcing each other's, you know, artful uh, critiques. Well, that's not good enough. Well, I never hear them doing that. The only thing I ever hear or ever see is just a response. It's mm-hmm. always a response. Yeah. It's well, always a categorical, well-planned, calculated orchestrated response. That's all you get is responses. Where's the initiation? Where is the lead? You talk about leaders. Where is the lead with them? There is none. Well, and quite honestly, this is what's so scary is the only positive legislative initiatives to fix this situation are coming out of RightYourLaws.com. They're coming out of Action Radio. I don't see a single positive bill. In fact, I was, I was watching a, uh, a program, one of, the, one of the many videos I got sent. I got sent a lot of videos. Most of them I can't watch. I don't have time. Um, but occasionally I'll, I'll pick up one. And they were just talking about 
Um, this is on one of the big hosts. And they were, they were doing what they always do, raising complaining to an art form. And they were talking about massive – oh, no, it was actually – it was uh, I think it was an interview on American News. This is a big one. And, or was this – oh, God, I forget. It could have been Steve Bannon's war room. might have been Steve Bannon's war room, uh, Lindell TV. And they were talking about massive antitrust regulation. We have to, we have to break up uh, social media. We have to do this. We need regulation. We need a new department. You know, we need all these regulations to control them. We need antitrust legislation. We need lawsuits. We need class action. We know. I'm listening to this going, you idiots. All you need is three lines of law change. And it's done. And then the national trial lawyers will take care of the rest with lawsuits, just like they did Big Tobacco. These idiots, these more, their heart's in the right place, but they're so misguided that they go for the most complex, most expensive, most incredibly detailed solution when it's not even necessary. You change three lines of law and big tech can't censor anything. Right What's that now? I don't, think they want to, I don't think the horse is in the right place. Okay, so maybe I'm too, opt- I'm be, I'm being too charitable. What do you think? You're, you're being too charitable. Even by mistake, people would be able to act out better than what we're witnessing. Their hearts aren't in the right place. Their hearts are selfish. Greedy, lazy, despiteful, neglected. Okay. So even then, uh, by that logic, even the supposed good guys are doing nothing but create. I thought of this too, but it's. it's I think uh, you know. But I sort of you know put it aside. You sort of resurrected a, a, a something I was thinking earlier. That what they're really doing is creating more work for themselves, more money for themselves, a bigger budget for themselves, and a new department that is completely unnecessary. Does that make more sense? And they don't get with them. Okay. You get theirs and go. Leave it for whoever wants to clean up the mess. It's just like a party. Mm-hmm. Leave mess all over the place. Yeah, they don't mind going to the party. They're walking around with their weak old pissed on clothes. And they stink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got three I mean, articles here. I mean, look at it. They, they mm-hmm. stink. They just look at them, Greg. I mean, let's look at this. Look how long this has been going on. There's oh, no pushback against this committee. It's led by Benny Thomas, who himself was, uh, if not a member, I'm not sure, but he sure was cordial with an insurrection organization himself in his life. Yeah, that's he's a January 6th guy, right? He's the one supposedly heading the committee. He's the committee. He's the congressperson from Mississippi. So how come the um, the GOP delegation hasn't pushed to defund that? Not one single Yeah, why come the people resolution. in Mississippi is not pushing to defund it? Yeah. Let me read you an article here I've been sort of saving around for a while. This is Daniel Greenfield. It's from the Gatestone Institute, one of my new favorite uh, sources. It's called The End of Debate, and it's kind of what we're talking about here. Uh, Daniel Greenfield, October 11th, so just a couple days ago. He says, debate is hard, especially to leftists like Obama or Ardern, I'm not sure who that is, who have lost the ability to recognize that anyone can fundamentally, rather than procedurally, disagree with them in good faith. Disinformation charges rapidly move from delegitimization to criminalization. World leaders like Ardern, I'm not sure who that is, I'll have to find out. Anyway, insist that we could solve problems if people didn't insist on disagreeing with us. (laughs) Obama contends that a society can't function if we can't all agree on what's true. Someone has to decide that, and who better than the leaders who gather at the world conferences? The only way to protect free speech is through censorship. Censorship becomes freedom. 
This is Orwellian, right? <laughs> censorship becomes freedom. And free speech is the ultimate censorship. Only by destroying free speech can we save it. It's like Vietnam. Only by, by uh, destroying the village can we save it from communism. <laughs> okay? He says disinformation is the ultimate ad hominem argument. It's become the first resort of the echo chamber establishments that have lost the ability to debate because they don't understand how anyone can or should be allowed to think differently than they do. The obsession with fighting disinformation just takes the safe space university model nationally and internationally. And in the perfect example of horseshoe theory, I'm not sure what that is, but I'll explain that, it brings together totalitarians from across the world who don't agree on anything except that different opinions are a threat to their regimes. If, if the only legitimate kind of free speech is truthful, good or fair, that's just censorship with lipstick. Someone will have to decide what kind of speech needs to be censored and the invented class of experts put forward by leftists to fight disinformation will ensure that their speech will be protected and those of their political opponents will be suppressed. Let me stop there. It's pretty accurate, huh? Pianki's leftist for Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> Let me continue then. Speech, like elections, is either free or it's not. The closing of political systems encompasses general principles and specific applications like the Bill of Rights. An international censorship coalition is growing. Its purpose is to ensure that the only debate to be allowed anymore will consist of world leaders reading from prepared speeches at the UN General Assembly before returning home to oversee countries where free speech and all freedoms have been eliminated. Oh, yeah. Uh, wait till the Bill of Rights is ruled. Um, dangerous. You know, well, we can't have, this is dangerous, and you know, it's a, or or they'll say we can we can limit it, or they pull out the government. Uh, you know, the things I argue with uh, Jim Dykes about. Oh, Jim's left the program too. He's uh, he won't be able to to do this anymore either. He's got uh, stuff going on. Um, but we always talked about uh, you know rights and, and rights being taken, and uh, you know, and then and the whole idea that the government's going to say, well, you know, the Bill of Rights is disinformation. You can't believe that. That's no way for a society to function. We need reasonable restrictions. We have a compelling state interest you know, in, uh, in curtailing rights for, for public safety. We're doing this for your own good. This is for you. We do this. We're not, we're not trying to cause any grief. But, uh, yeah, the Bill of Rights is a dangerous idea. That's where we're going, ultimately, if, they, if we're not there already. We have a chance to react or I shall press well, on. you know, you, you have an administration that disregards the Bill of Rights anyway. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just a, Yeah, just but they haven't called it disinformation yet. They, they've tried, they've neutered it, but they haven't uh, abolished it yet, which they can't abolish it, you know, except by amendment, but I'm saying, but effectively abolish. In other words, uh, make it useless, make it, put the idea in people's heads that liberty and freedom are actually dangerous concepts, that security and safety are much more valuable. And that's what we should aspire to. That's where I see this going. They and don't, it, it, go ahead. They're doing a pretty good job with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's why I don't advocate safety. Don't be safe. If you're safe, it means you're not, uh, you're not challenging, you're not risking, you're not, uh, you know, the pioneers didn't do what they did because they wanted to be safe. You know, we didn't go to the moon because John Kennedy wanted us to be safe. You know, we didn't, we didn't World War II because it was a safe thing to do. It was a very dangerous thing to do. A lot of people died, but it was an essential thing to do. You know, the things that are, are, are safe, you know, uh, not inventing something is very safe, but then you don't get the invention. Not traveling somewhere is safe, but then you don't get the experience. You know, not going out of your house may be safe, but it's probably more dangerous because most diseases are caught in the home. So the idea of safety is probably our greatest danger. So stop being safe or stop limiting yourself to thinking that you can only be safe because safety is an illusion. Stuff happens that you can't control. Cars, buses, airplanes, ships, all do things that you can't control. 
Yet the vast majority of us, 99.9999 whatever percent of us ride these things with no problem. But they're not absolutely safe because nothing is. So the myth of safety is going to kill people. It did with uh, COVID. Well, I want to talk to Peter about that too. The myth of safety is one of the most dangerous ideas out there. Let me back to the article here. In New York City, world leaders dodge traffic, deranged panhandlers, <laughs> and they're the city's unique fall funk to lecture the planet about their views at the United States uh, General Assembly. Yeah, Nations General Assembly, excuse me. The theme was the, the threat that misinformation or disinformation poses to their power. I just, I just talked about this. This is funny. Hate speech, misinformation, and abuse targeted specifically at women and vulnerable groups, in other words, the marginal populations you mentioned earlier, are proliferating. U.N. Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez claimed Russian Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov blamed his country's BR problems on disinformation, crude staging, and provocations. Provocations. Excuse me, my accent in Russian is failing. He says, today, oh, I better do it in English. Today, I have listened to further installments of Russia's catalogs of distortions, dishonesty, and disinformation. Oh, that's the U.K. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly. Cleverly, cleverly retorted, today I have listened to the further installments of Russia's catalogs of disinformation, dishonesty, and misinformation. Anyway, here's another one. Catherine Colonna, Minister for Europe. How can you have a minister for Europe? That'd be like a minister for North America. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually. But they're a union, so I guess that's when it works. He says, where Russia employs disinformation and propaganda, justice must be grounded in facts. Well, that's pretty meaningless. Then it says the one thing Russians and Europeans can agree on is that the whole matter of the war can be reduced to disinformation, bad speech that we would call that we would all be better off without. The only issue, as Vladimir Lenin put it, is who, whom, who gets to censor whose speech. Anyway, I think he's gone off the, 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 the deep end, a bunch of other stuff. But basically, the, the main part is what he said earlier, you know, that, uh, that free speech is dangerous. And it's pretty much what he was saying in the, in the earlier things. Fascinating. So we need to make free speech safe. <laughs> Here's another one. Um, Berkeley clubs ban Zionist speakers. This is fascinating, too. This is a huge anti-Semitic movement out there. This is Alan Dershowitz. Now, I want to get Alan Dershowitz on the show. He's another one of my, uh, uh, my, my, my uh, on the wish list because I want to talk to him about judicial review, and I want to challenge him on it. I want to see if he can defend uh, the Supreme Court assuming a power that the states didn't get, delegate to them and have accepted for over – for almost 200 years. Let me see, when did they do it? 1808? Yeah, that's over 200 years we've had judicial review. And yet no one has challenged it, even though it's not in the Constitution. And the Supreme Court, like every government is in, you know, entity, no government entity can make up their own powers. So I want to hear him justify it. I'm kind of curious. Wouldn't that be a fun chat? Yes, it would be. And uh, it's something that needs to be considered. Yeah, well, I like Alan Dershowitz, too. He's actually the one defending Trump against the, uh, the raids at Mar-a-Lago. Anyway, in this article, he says, the alleged justification for this total ban on all Zionists, that is, people who believe that Israel has a right to exist, is to protect the safety and welfare of Palestinian students. This is patent nonsense. No students have been physically threatened by Zionists, and no student is entitled to be protected from ideas. Those clubs are engaging in a combination of Stalinism and anti-Semitism. Stalinism in the sense that they allow no dissenting views from their politically correct doctrine of no Israel. Anti-Semitism in the sense that among all the, na- the nations of the world which are involved in con- uh, controversies, Russia, Iran, China, Belarus, to name a few, they have singled out for banning only the nation state of the Jewish people. 
Imagine if a university club were to exclude all speakers who support Black Lives Matter. The University of California at Berkeley is a public institution. Uh, actually, I, I used to go visit there all the time. It was this kind of fun place. They got a huge theater, and it's a, it's a really beautiful campus. But it's 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 staffed by idiots and students that are morons. <laughs> it's really too bad. But it used to be one of the best universities in the country, and it was a state university, University of California, Berkeley. All right. It says if it in any way supports these organizations financially or by allowing them to have offices on the campus, then it is effectively the state of California that is enacting and enforcing these bans. This constitutes state action and is governed by the First Amendment. The question is which way the First Amendment cuts. Does it give the clubs the right to exclude all speakers who are Zionists, or does it prohibit state actors from demanding that all speakers disavow Zionism as a condition to exercise their First Amendment right to speak? And what about the rights of their potential audience members to hear them? This, the answers may also implicate federal funding for the university. So here's something we haven't talked about, but I think it's a really important point. Does the First Amendment not only include the right to speak, but the right of people to hear what's being spoken. Absolutely. As a matter of fact, that should be that should be the intro. The right to hear. Because you see so much going on that's mm-hmm. trying to prevent you from hearing. Mm-hmm. That goes on amongst many black circles, many black organizations. They don't mm-hmm. want the people that they have become gatekeepers of, self-proclaimed gatekeepers of, they don't want to hear. They only want them to uh, be be dictated to. Well, and this goes with the whole propaganda thing. They're so afraid of different ideas because they want absolute control. And absolute control is a myth. You can't absolutely control people. There's no way you can do that. And yet, that's what they're trying to do. So we're we're living in Alice in Wonderland times. We are through the looking glass. We are in a very bizarre place. Um, in fact, I, um, I'm going to ask this of, of Peter Navarro, but I, I'm going to put it to you as well. Why is it at this particular time in history has all this come together? It's like the planets have aligned. We've got the best technology we've ever had. We've got the greatest access to share information with social media we've ever had. We've got the greatest ability to look up information uh, that we've ever had with the Internet and with search engines. And yet we have the greatest political repression you know, since our days as colonies. We've got a time when uh, information can just as easily be taken down from the Internet as put on it. We've got words that are changing meanings such that nobody knows the original words unless they have an 1800s dictionary, something I'm going to try and acquire. And yet this is happening. We've got a time where our, our greatest president, you know, probably ever, Donald Trump, was, was absolutely demonized and attempted to be destroyed in favor of a government that picks a total moron who's destroyed everything that Donald Trump built. And all these things are happening at the same time. And here we are, Action Radio, offering the only alternative to ballots and bullets with bills because nobody else is writing them. I find that fascinating, too. How did this all happen? <laughs> you know, that all these factors came together at this particular time in history. I mean, I'm glad to be a part of it. I'm hoping to change it. You know, I think I'm finally at the right place at the right time in my entire life. I've never been at the right place at the right time until now. And all these things are converging at once. Our greatest freedoms combined with our greatest repressions at the same time. What do you think? Well, it's a proper balance. It's like when do when when do the itch feel good when you scratch it, but it becomes mm-hmm. painful when it, it creates abrasion. So it's a it's a balance. That's interesting. Let me give another article. Uh, this is one of my favorite places to go. Intellectual takeout. 
You notice I do sources nobody else does. <laughs> these people need to be. I mean, I'm trying to get all these folks as guests, but uh, again, you know, it's. Uh, well, what do you, let's speculate. Let's have a little fun here for a minute. What do you think would happen if President Trump did endorse Action Radio and start talking about our bills and rallies? Well, they would start looking and see how. When the last time you changed your underwear and your socks, what you had <laughs> So, do you think I'd be under the microscope? Who is this person behind these? Yes. Yeah, I know. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm thinking about that. Your high school would be, they would be visitors to your high school with dark yeah. suits and dark glasses. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Coming with all kinds of dirt. And then have, and what they can't find. See, I've been pretty much a Boy Scout. Yeah, I made, made mistakes. I'm not perfect, but I don't think there's. But uh, you know, they're not going to find you know crimes and scandals and you know illegal activity. There's, there's, there's not much there, you know, other than the usual goose and mistakes that most people make growing up. But uh, yeah, you know, so I you know I, I thought about that too. And it's like you know micro micro inspect my life. Okay, fine. We'll see what happens. We'll see what they uh, you know what they either make up or what they either document. Yeah, they'll, they'll find the one person in high school that hated me. <laughs> they'll interview them. <laughs> I don't even know who that would be, but it's probably somebody. So uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, that, I guess it goes with the territory. So you got to be prepared to, uh, you know, take that on when you when you start doing something like this. And I've accepted that. You know, so I'd, I'll try and keep the message going. But uh, whatever happens, happens. You know. Intellectual takeout. <laughs> the revival of phonics may sound the death knell for tyranny. This is really encouraging. This is Amy Ho- Annie Holmquist, who's the editor of uh, Intellectual Takeout, who said, let me get you a date here, October 10th, so recently, like, like last week. She says, I came across some good news today, the kind of news that makes me, whoop, almost knocked my microphone over, the kind of news that makes me think there is some hope for America and its citizens. What is the good news, you might ask? It's simple, really. Schools are beginning to teach phonics again. She says, is that all? I can hear your reply. <laughs> That's not such a big deal. <laughs> Au contraire. Teaching phonics is a very big deal. For in teaching phonics, we enable literacy to surge, which makes knowledge soar, which in turn brings common sense and understanding back to the minds of the voting public. That America has finally realized the importance of phonics is evident in a recent New York Times article by Bella DiMarco. I'm not sure who that is. Sounding out a better way to teach reading. There, DeMarco describes how early grade school students in central Virginia, well, that's interesting. We've got a new governor who's doing a good job, right? And a new uh, lieutenant governor. Surprise, surprise. Get the Democrats out, things happen. Back to the article. DeMarco describes how early grade school students in central Virginia sound out letters without any cues to help them guess. The joy on their faces when the sounds of the letters click into word, into a word gives good picture of how much of a decoding game reading is. Once you know the key to the code, everything becomes clear. Teaching students that code is having impressive effects. Or teaching students that code is having impressive effects. I should learn how to read before I do this. Uh, Quote, after just one year using the new reading strategy, DeMarco writes, Richmond Public Schools raised its early literacy scores by seven points, the largest single-year gains the district has seen. And it's not only this school that has seen success. The entire state of Mississippi first started using a phonics-based approach to reading in 2013. By 2019, its national standard in fourth grade reading scores went from 49th to 29th. That's not bad considering Mississippi is the poorest state in the nation. But can teaching phonics have that much positive impact on our nation as a whole? Surely American students have always struggled with reading. 
isn't it overly optimistic to say that teaching phonics can help them grow in knowledge and understanding? To answer those questions, it is helpful to look at some historical data on literacy rates, data which former teacher of the year, John Taylor Gatto, laid out in his book, The Underground History of American Education. Well, I don't know who he is. Do you know who this guy is? You heard of this guy? John, John Taylor Gatto? G-A-T-T-O? Does that name sound familiar, Dupianchi? Because I'm not sure who it is. Mm-hmm. Not on the yeah. top of my head. Yeah. Anyway, he says, according to Gatto, lit- literacy was universal in the American colonies. In fact, it seems reading was so easy to teach that many schools in colonial days didn't even offer reading instruction because few schoolmasters were willing to waste time teaching what was so easy to learn. Apparently, parents, or perhaps dame school teachers, I guess that was the, the school marms, were expected to take care of such a simple task. Perhaps we should consider that an early endorsement for homeschooling, but I digress. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, such, such high literacy rates were apparently par for the course until World War II. For military tests found a 96% literacy rate amongst the millions of men who registered and were either in, inducted into the military or re- rejected for various reasons. When the Korean War rolled around a few years later, the literacy rate dropped to 81%. Gatto explains dropping further to 73% during the recruitment for the Vietnam War. What happened during these years, these three short decades, to cause such a sudden decline in, oh, it's a question, sorry. What happened during these three short decades to cause such a sudden decline in literacy rates? Well, one change is indisputable, well-documented and easy to track, and this is from Gatto again. During World War II, American public schools massively converted to non-phonetic ways of teaching reading. See, I never understood that. I learned with phonics. Did you learn? With, I learned with phonics in Canada. Did you learn with phonics? Is that how you learned to read? Pianki? I don't know what they called it back then, Greg. So long ago. <laughs> well, you're older than me, so I understand the, the, the memory. You know, we'll have to jog your memory a little bit more. I remember very clearly. I was in Canada. We learned phonics. Now, my problem with school was in Canada, I was there when they brought in new math. You know, set theory, base 10, base 6, all this other crap, all this other nonsense. So that permanently screwed up my mathematical uh, education. And I was useless in math because my initial learning of math was new math, which, of course, is no math. <laughs> so then I get to Australia. And guess what they're teaching in Australia? The times tables, you know, multiplication, addition, subtraction, division in your head, you know, until it was long division and that was something different. And all these things all these kids knew that I had no idea about because I was learning set theory, which was no math. So I got to Australia with no math skills, none. And all of a sudden, I'm expected to, uh, you know, I was in a private school, and they made us stand up and recite the various times tables. So the teacher said, Penglos, stand up and give me the, the, the four times table. I'm like, the what? <laughs> of course, everybody laughs at me, right? So this is one of those embarrassing moments of my, my childhood. I said, what? I said, what's a times table? I had no idea. And so I go home, and I said, what's a times table? <laughs> so my folks actually wrote out. It's one of the good things they did. Uh, the multiplication tables. And I said, what are these? I had no idea. That's how bad the new education was. Now, fortunately, I got phonics, or I wouldn't know how to read either. My reading's pretty good. It's just not good, you know, on the air, and it's not fast, which is the ADHD thing. But uh, phonics is, is uh, you know, the letters make a sound. You know, the letters are a code. I taught my daughter that. You know, she read extremely well, and she learned it in school. So she had, like, a double reinforcement. She learned phonics, and her reading was great. But if you, if you if the, the look-say method, you know, look at the word and guess what it is, C-spot run, that's just memorization. That's not reading. Read, phonics teaches you the code of what the letters, the sounds the letters make, and how that makes words. And if you don't have that, you can't read. And those words I come across, I have no idea what they are. Well, I can sound them out. 
I can I can see what they sound like. I could probably guess, you know, a root word that might have something in common to that uh, that word that I don't understand. I was reading that uh, article yesterday from um, uh, Washington Examiner. It had like five words I'd never heard before. Uh, this is good. <laughs> it was pretty exciting. But I could at least sound them out and get a, and get a guess as to where they came from. So phonics is critical. You you take away phonics, you take away reading. You take away reading, you take away education. 96% literacy rate in uh, World War II because they taught phonics. You know, the average World War II soldier was really well educated. There was a book I found. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but there was a book I found. I wish I still had it. I don't know how, you know, where along the way the, the moves got rid of it. This is back in, I think I had this in New England in my 20s. I found a book in a bookstore that explained it was a World War II manual with an, a forward from Eisenhower, and it talked about the reasons we were going to war. And it talked about uh, Nazism and fascism and communism. And it talked about the emperor, the dictatorship in Japan. And it talked about, uh, you know, democracy and republics and, and why we were fighting for freedom. And it was a very well-written book. And this book was given to every soldier. This was the standard political, you know, background for why we were going to war. And this is for every soldier. So every grunt who had to slug it out in jungles and deserts and everything else had a book on why they were fighting. So they all knew why they were fighting. As opposed to Vietnam, where I don't think they hardly knew at all why they were fighting. Hence all the problems. Hence the PTSD and problems like that. But the World War II soldiers knew why they were fighting, and they also had a much higher literacy rate. I find that interesting. All right, let me uh, finish up the paragraph, and we can, we can talk about this, and uh, maybe I'll play something for, for a few minutes. Might be kind of interesting. This is what happened during these three short decades. Okay, there we go. Today, only 37% of high school seniors can read proficiently. Let me say that again. Today, only 37%, that's just over a third, of high school seniors can read proficiently. Are the 63% who can't read proficiently illiterate? Some, some, yes. Others can likely read enough to get by, but such reading is unenjoyable. And when reading is unenjoyable, learning and growth in knowledge is much harder to come by. Such a lack of knowledge doesn't do much for students, but it does do a lot for those in power. Whether they are close to home in the schools and local communities or farther away in the halls of Congress or the White House, if students are unable to read well, if at all, then they will be unable to discern important truths and make connections from those truths to accurately judge the character and actions of those in power. And if they can't accurately judge whether the actions of those in power are right or wrong, then they will tread ever closer to living under tyranny. What do you think? Quite interesting. Yeah. Here's a quote from John Adams, our, our second president, who says, I must judge for myself, but how can I judge? How can any man judge unless his mind has been opened and enlarged by reading? A man who can read will find in his Bible, in his common sermon books, that common people have by them, and even in the almanac, and the newspapers, rules and observations that will enlarge his range of thought and enable him the better to judge who has and who has not that integrity of heart and that compass of knowledge and understanding which forms the statesman. Is that word statesman again? And then Annie finishes up. She says, and that is exactly why the resurgence of phonics is joyous news. Such instruction clearly sets students on a path to being stronger readers, and once they are stronger readers, they will increase in knowledge and become more discerning, shining a light on and exposing those who would lead blind followers on the path toward tyranny. 
pretty interesting stuff. And that's in our homeschool page. For those that want to find it, it's in the Action Radio homeschool page. Uh, we have a lot of new groups. And uh, just to let folks know, we have about 20 groups now at Action Radio on Facebook. We've got the new economics project. We've got our art project. We've got our Oh My God page. We've got our family law page. We've got a special investigations page, a homeschool page. Uh, we've got um, a private group for, for vaccines. Uh, so you've got to ask to join that one. You know, it's, uh, I'm very selective on that group because I don't want to get sabotaged. Uh, we have groups. Uh, we have the Action Radio group, which is a public group with, uh, for general news. Uh, we have uh, an international page now for international news. We got a lot of stuff. We've got a legal page. We've got a legal project. We've got a cruise and travel page. We've got, what else have we got? I think that's most of it. We've got a lot of stuff. And so we, uh, and I don't post the same stories, you know, all over the place. So if you want to find a particular story, you know, you want to go to cruise and travel, that's where, that's where, the, that's where the tall ship stories are. So it's kind of fun. All right. Um, that was interesting. I think I want to play something here for a little bit, uh, unless you have a, a burning topic on your mind. I want to sort of get, uh, get us in the mood here. I want to play Matt Gates' interview. It's about 20 minutes long, and it'll take us up to where uh, Peter comes in. But this is the last time we actually were successfully writing a bill on the air. Uh, that got to Congress and then got a result. Yeah, go ahead, Pianchi. What were you going to say? Yeah, bring on Matt Gates. Okay, so let me set this up here. Matt Gates, uh, where is it? I guess it's under my WEBY. I got to get indexes better. So this was the last time that uh, was well, the first time. Actually, it's not the last time. It's the first time we wrote a bill on the air. So just to set this up, this was done. This would have been. Uh, I didn't put the date on this, but it would have been uh, July. 5th of 2018. And the reason I don't think that Matt Gates has, has taken a lot of our bills to Congress, quite honestly, is there's no point. As long as the Democrats are in charge, nothing Matt Gates presents to Congress is going to go anywhere. But this one could have. So we wrote a bill in the air, a mandatory citizenship question um, on the census. So you, the census had to ask your citizenship. That was a big controversy at the time. So Matt took that bill to Congress. It went to the House Freedom Coalition. I'm pretty sure it went to the White House, too. And I don't know what I'm going to ask Peter Navarro about, if we get a chance, is whether he saw that bill. Because that was the last time things were really active. Now, I'm hoping that once Congress you know, becomes Republican again, that Matt will then, because he's my congressman, will then become active and start, uh, start doing these things. Actually, there's only 12 minutes long. Let me play this for you. So again, this is from, this would have been June, July, let me see, it was the, the uh, July 10th. Because I was fired on, on the 13th. <laughs> you know, three days after this interview, I was fired. Uh, in fact, do you know who my last guest was? Did I ever tell you that story? Last guest on the show. And I was fired 15 minutes later because new owners took over. Not because I did anything wrong. In fact, what I did wrong was actually what I did right. We made broadcast history. But my last guest was Ron DeSantis when he was a member of Congress. Pianchi? <laughs> <sighs> well... <laughs> I don't know what to say, Greg. Oh, I know. That's okay. Hey, listen, this is the way things go. We've had a couple of setbacks. Um, having a WEBY bought out by another station was a huge setback. COVID was a huge setback. I don't care. I'm still here. Still broadcasting. You know, today I got Peter Navarro on the show. If all goes well, hopefully. Knock on wood. We'll see. Here's my interview with Matt Gates, July 10th, 2018, covering the mandatory uh, question of citizenship on the census and some other things too. Let me play this right now. Hey 
And if you hear Tom Petty on a Tuesday morning at 7.35, it means it's time for Congressman Matt Gates. In our last report until after the election, Congressman, we've got to put you on hold for a while. So, uh, so this is it. So, so let's hear as much news as we can during our, our chat this morning. Well, we certainly have plenty of news to discuss. Uh, wanted to first, though, thank you for coming out to the rally we had with Sean Hannity recently. We haven't gotten a chance to speak since then, but, you know, I, uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And I didn't realize how funny Sean Hannity was. Uh, I thought he'd come and give a political speech and uh, endorse my candidacy for Congress, but I didn't realize he had so many impressions of, uh, you know, Mark Levin and Rush Limbaugh and Bill Clinton. It was pretty uh, a pretty good time. You know, in fact, I hadn't uh, heard the impressions. I've listened to Sean for years, and so, uh, in fact, I hope to meet him at some point. So if, if you ever can sort of match us up some way and throw some action bills, action radio bills this way, that would be fabulous. But, yeah, he is a great entertainer, just a good all-around person, and a genuinely uh, nice man. So, uh, you know, it was good to see him again. Absolutely, and I was grateful that, you know, he would take one of his few days off and come campaign with me in North Florida. And uh, we definitely showed him that Sean Hannity has a lot of fans community. So that was a great thing, and it's good to be uh, working side-by-side side with Sean to try to expose uh, some of the activity going on. But there'll be a lot of that in Washington this week, Greg. We've yep. got Lisa Page giving an interview this week, and then all of America will hear from Peter Strzok. This is the individual who opened up the Trump-Russia investigation, who then uh, was also involved in clearing Hillary Clinton, and then ended up on Robert Mueller's probe before his text messages came out showing how biased he was. Yeah. So uh, it'll be an interesting week there. And then, of course, uh, I'm very proud of the president's selection for Supreme Court. I think that uh, that uh, Judge Kavanaugh is a jurist who will interpret the Constitution. You won't want to make law from the bench. And we've really got a, an opportunity now to reshape the court for a generation. Yeah, it's fascinating what's happening right now. Peter Strzok, though, is, is, is interesting to me. Can you just ask him point blank how much involvement President Obama had, what he knew, when he knew it, and same thing with, uh, with Hillary Clinton as both Secretary of State and as a candidate, what she knew and when she knew it? Well, I, I don't know that we're going to get straight answers to those questions. I mean, Peter Strzok has proven to be someone who has a problem with the truth, who's willing to manipulate the truth. Uh, you know, I... Uh, I'm really going to focus on the uh, Robert Mueller involvement in all of this. And uh, what struck me as very odd was that when, when Mueller found out about these text messages, mm -hmm. he didn't ask the FBI lovebirds about them. He didn't ask about what they meant, about whether or not the investigation had been compromised. And you, don't, you only don't ask those questions if you don't want to know the answers. Yeah. Here's the thought I just had. Do you think that the Mueller Commission or the Mueller Committee report is the insurance policy that Peter Strzok was talking about? Yes. Yes. I believe the whole investigation, the whole Russia narrative, every facet of the Mueller, uh, you know, beginning mm -hmm. was what was contemplated as the insurance policy against the Trump presidency, against the selection made by the American people. Yeah. Are you going to get to ask that to him? Uh, was that? Are you going to get to ask him that question? Yeah, I expect I will. I I want to I want to be able to go through that, and I want to understand the complete lack of curiosity by Robert Mueller. Yeah, I wish we had more public hearings. I wish we had uh, something similar to the like the church hearings with the CIA. Um, do you anticipate more FBI hearings uh, as things go on? Yeah, I think that I think that we could have Comey in. I think okay. we could have Lynch in. I think that that uh, there are other uh, Obama officials that 
we're probably going to want to hear from. So I, I think it's going to be a busy month yep. in the House Judiciary Committee. And I think we've got a lot of people we need to ask tough questions to. Yeah. You have to follow it all the way up to President Obama. Otherwise, we're never going to know the, the whole story. Um, but I have another question for you, and I think I've asked you this before. On the FBI, do you think it needs some kind of overhaul or the theory I've, I've put forward that you split investigation and leave that federal and maybe take enforcement out or, or some kind of restructuring, or do you want to leave the FBI as it is? Uh, we cannot leave the FBI as it is because we cannot allow the system to continue to be infected by bias. Okay. There has to be more transparency, more oversight, more redundancy. And I think that we have to start setting consequences when the FBI doesn't turn over records to Congress when it deals with their own conduct that's in question. And so, yeah, I, I think that when this is uh, over and said and done, we could probably do that in a bipartisan way, mm-hmm. Greg. I think that Republicans and Democrats both have an interest in making sure that we've got a justice system that isn't infected by politics. And so when we when we finally come to Donald Trump's presidency, it's not going to be interrupted by this witch hunt investigation. Hopefully the Democrats will work with us because there are actually a few Democrats who have some good ideas about transparency, uh, but they're unable to advance them because they can't see past their own partisan lens at this time. Yeah, and that's the problem. And, you know, if you look back at Watergate, the, a lot of that was run by Republicans. You know, Howard Baker investigating a Republican president. So they, they put politics behind them and actually did the right thing. And hopefully you can inspire, you know, Democrats to do the right thing to, to follow this through. Um, but I want to change the subject a little bit. We had a big discussion on the show July 5th about this judge who wanted to uh, allow these lawsuits to go forward to take the citizenship question out of the census. We actually wrote a bill with the callers here, and then I wrote it up that night yeah. and sent it to you over the weekend. Any, any follow-up with that? Anything happened with that? Uh, actually, I, I love some of the ideas that were there. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many of them required legislation or how many of them the Trump administration can implement. Okay. And so, uh, you know, we, we have reached out. Uh, we've also reached out to the Florida Department of State uh, on that question because, look, we've got to be able to ask people if they're citizens of this country, mm-hmm. if they're here legally. I mean, if we start going down the road where we're not even allowed to ask the question if people are in our country legally, then we start to normalize this lawless conduct. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's really uh, central to the success of the Trump presidency to get the border secured. I know we've done a lot on enforcement, but if we continue to look the other way, if we don't do E-Verify, if we don't end chain migration, uh, you know, I'll view it as a failure, as a missed opportunity, because uh, we've got the shot now. We should be able to do it. Yeah, and we actually call for proof of citizenship, not just asking the question, but have verified proof, whether it's passport, naturalization papers, birth certificate, yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, now, you can't just be a note from your mom or your <laughs> I mean, it's, you know. Well, here's the thing, too. That's a big bill. If you split that up, if you wanted to just maybe file part of it and get back to us, but anything you can do to get part of that or even show some to the president and say, this is what you know, constituents in Florida are saying, you know, all of, all of this is good for, for our citizen legislature and shows that we are a, a viable uh, a prospect here that we can get, that we can just have regular folks come up with ideas. I can get them directly to you. You can maybe get from the president, other members of Congress, and we can legislate. We can bypass all the special interest groups and the money and the lawyers and the donors and everything like that and have direct input uh, into the government. Yeah, well, I mean, you've already seen that happen on oversight. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the oversight ideas. You know, I, gosh, we weren't even holding hearings on these questions, Greg. Yep. When when you and I started having these discussions last year, that, 
One year anniversary. The <laughs> committee has got to hold open hearings. They've got to call people forward, and they've got to start an investigation of this yeah. because uh, when we began, uh, you know, before Action Radio, there there was a theory that we would all just sit back and wait uh, for Robert Mueller, and whatever he did, he did. And it was only kind of through, you know, the suggestions we got through Action Radio and really from people all over the country that yeah. we said, no, we got to – we got to peel back a few layers of this onion and see what really happened here. So we've seen it in oversight work, and there's no reason it wouldn't work uh, to try to get some laws changed. Well, congratulations to you and to Congressman DeSantis and to Congressman Jordan and all the folks that are uh, doing everything they can to fight a fight that is not popular, even with uh, a lot of Republicans, especially the leadership. Well, you see what they're doing to Jim Jordan. Well, that's this is this, and this is why I had this bill that I, I'll send you again too. You know, it's like anytime a congressman person does something good or somebody's running for office, you get the obligatory Democrat sex scandal. I mean, this is just so predictable; it's ridiculous. And then the accusations go away after the election or after whatever happens. You know, Congressman Jordan's up for possible election as speaker, and he's extremely effective at what he does in Congress going after yeah. the FBI. And this is what happens. You get, a, you get a, you know, a bogus sex scandal. It's so bogus. And Jim Jordan is not accused of, of doing anything improper. He's accused of not knowing something that some people think he should have known 28 years ago. Yeah. What so, is that? I mean, my question is, how is Jim Jordan supposed to prove mm-hmm. that he didn't know something 28 years ago? I mean, it's just, it's an impossible position to be in, and I am absolutely certain that Jim Jordan uh, is having these allegations come out because he's one of our best members at conducting oversight. Yeah. And so they're going after our best players with this, with this crap, and it's really frustrating. But, and I think it's a message to the mm-hmm. rest of us that if you ask tough questions, if you demand uh, answers from the FBI, that, that, you know, there are out there, I'm not saying in our government, probably outside our government, but there are people out there who will make your life miserable. And it's really not good for the Congress and not good for the country. So more people have to ask more tough questions. You know, say, hey, we're not stopping. You're, not, you're just going to make us bolder. This is what happens with me. You, you stand in my way, I get angrier. Um, is good. There, is, thank you. Is there any kind of House ethics rules or due process regarding these accusations or allegations to maybe protect someone, like we have for, for criminals who are, or for people who are accused well, of crimes? There, yeah, I mean, there is a process in the House of Representatives when people are accused of unethical conduct mm-hmm. where there's an investigation. There, there are not many due process rights because it's not a court of law, right. but that process has not even been triggered as it relates to Congressman Jordan. With Congressman Jordan, he's essentially being tried in the media, mm-hmm. and he's he's completely unable to defend himself because, again, like, how do you prove a negative? I mean, I'm just sitting there thinking, if someone accused me of knowing something that I didn't know 28 years ago, how could I? What would be the way I would develop the evidence to show I didn't know it? It was I mean, guilt is guilty until proven innocent. You had if you already judge guilty until proven innocent for something you didn't know, that that's an impossible standard. It, it really is, and I think that's why this is how these allegations have manifested. Yeah. Jim Jordan is such a good man. He's been fighting the fight. Uh, he's one of my mentors here in the Congress. Yeah. Uh, he's actually, uh, I can break a little bit of news, in the month of August, he's going to come down and campaign with me in northwest Florida. The northwest Florida people get a chance to see him and meet him, what a good uh, good guy he is. That would be great. But, uh, but, but it's just, um, it shows you how... Um, there are there are some very dedicated people in Washington that are working against the Donald Trump agenda, mm-hmm. and they are willing to do anything to stop people who are making the changes that we've got to make to 
food this great country. Yeah. We, oh, it's amazing what we're covering today. We have less than a minute, um, about 45 seconds. I'll leave it to you, and then we have to go. Well, uh, people need to be out there talking about uh, the good virtues of uh, Judge Kavanaugh. I think that the left is going to come after him with a visceral hatred. Uh, they're going to spend millions of dollars. And uh, I'm hoping that Northwest Floridians, you know, uh, at church, at the water cooler, at the store, will be talking up uh, the value of reshaping the court in the way of constitutional conservatives. It's why so many Republicans and conservatives voted for Donald Trump, because they really believe he would deliver on these promises. And I'm so proud of the nominee. So a great time. And if listeners don't hear me for the next 45 days, it's not that I didn't want to call in. It's that uh, your radio station has a policy of, I guess, not the not having folks uh, uh, too close to an election. That and that we have election. to go right now. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news! Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take. That. Action Radio. And that's how it was. Back uh, July 10th of uh, 2018, and uh, three days later, the 13th of July, uh, the new owners decided that uh, they no longer wanted me at uh, at WBY, and yet I had just gotten you know, a favorable rep- approval, favorable report on a bill that we wrote on the air, probably for the first time in history, that uh, broadcast history and legislative history was made. And I've got the recording, I'll play it probably this week, uh, of the discussion where we actually wrote the bill, because it's really a fascinating show. It's the first time we did it, and so we wrote it on July 5th, a uh, day after we, we read the Declaration of Independence. We, uh, I, I wrote it up, uh, the details, I mean, I was actually typing during the, during the show of the comments people were making, wrote it up, put it in a bill form. You can still get that bill, too. The mandatory citizenship uh, question on the census is still at uh, writeyourlaws.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. Wrote that up on a Friday night, sent it to uh, uh, Congressman Gates that Saturday morning. And that, uh, that interview you just heard was the Tuesday, you know, a few days later. So within five days, from, from Thursday to Tuesday, Thursday, Thursday, what was that, uh, six days? You know, we had uh, we'd written a bill on the air, posted to a website, and gotten a favorable re- approval from a sitting uh, member of Congress who took it to Washington, all within six days. That's how Action Radio works. That's the proof that Action Radio works. And it was working until a couple things happened. One, the new owners at the station I was working at, and two, in the midterms, a few months later, in November of 2018, uh, the Congress uh, flipped to the Democrats, and of course, that was the end of any Republican legislation and any chance of us getting anything uh, into the Congress to be submit by Congressman Gates, because it wasn't going to go anywhere, and I understand that, but that's how it was. Pianchi, what did you think of that interview? That's how we used to talk. It's pretty bold, huh? Yeah, I like listening to him and hope that he has great success. Well, I want him back on the show. 
you know, and I think there's a really good chance of that um, based on today, um, based on some other things, based on some of the new contacts we're making, based on the work that we're doing and the bills that we're writing. You know, I think there's a very good chance he'll be back on, especially if uh, they can flip the Congress. Um, but my fear, my big fear is Kevin McCarthy and um, Mitch McConnell, that they will do, that Kevin McCarthy will do what uh, Paul Rhino did, you know, Paul Ryan basically stopped any Republican initiative, stopped any investigation, stopped anything that uh, would have made the Republicans do what they were supposed to do effectively, you know, during that time to counter the, the last couple of years, the, um, let me see, was it Obama administration? No, it was uh, actually work with President Trump. They left Trump out to dry. They, and in fact, I, I talked to Congressman Gates about that. I said, I don't know what your Republican Party, what, your, what the Republican Party is doing. They are not backing President Trump. And he agreed, you know, so, uh, yeah. But uh, that's, uh, you know, he says that this is a viable way to get to legislation, you know, to Congress. And he approved of what we were doing and approved of that bill. So that's, how, that's Action Radio. That, that one interview, that 12-minute interview, essentially it defines Action Radio as the ability to write a bill on the air, uh, to write it up on a website, get it to a member of Congress, and have them respond back. You know, whether they respond favorably or unfavorably. I mean, if he said, yeah, I don't like it, I can't take it, that'd be okay, too. I mean, we might rewrite it, we might do things. But he didn't say that. He said not only you know, has the taken it to Congress, um, but he's looking at it at the Trump administration, also to the state law enforcement and how much is going to be regulation and how much is going to be legislation. That's amazing what we accomplished in one phone call. And that's how it works. It's pretty exciting. Sounds great, man. <laughs> okay, enough of blowing our own horn. So we got some... Where's Josie at today? I don't know. I mean, we're starting a bit later, and maybe she's uh, – we normally end the show at, at 9 o'clock. Uh, Mike's out, too. Mike Clinch, Mr. Science, you know, our, our Science Friday, uh, he's busy, too. So he has, uh, he has some things to take care of as well. You know, everybody's off today. Derek is off today. He's, he's doing stuff. Mike is doing stuff. Uh, Shirley's doing stuff. Amber, I, I couldn't have on simply because I had to start the show later. Um, so we'll see if she can – she has a class. You know, so we'll, hopefully we'll get her maybe uh, when Peter's on. But uh, it's been busy. It's been really busy. Let me read you a little more bio on, on Peter Navarro, just so people know uh, who he is. I think I read the part uh, about PhD in economics. Uh, as author of numerous books, including the China Trilogy, The Coming Wars, 2000. Oh, I think I read that already. Anyway, um, I'm like, I got like you know 10 minutes to vamp. <laughs> Same thing happened yesterday. You know, as to what we can do. I got a ton of questions from here too. Um, let me see. Let me see if there's something else I can I can do as we got here. Uh, what would you like to ask him? You have any questions you can think of uh, that I can pop on my little note here? Well, I guess you and I pretty much think alike along many lines. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things that could be asked. Whatever happened to that little lady, uh, <clears throat> black woman that used to be? We used to talk to in the morning. I haven't heard from her quite some time. Oh, Mama B. She's from down Yeah, Mama B is, uh, I think she's the uh, representative of, uh, like, the Black Republican Caucus in Florida. Um, she, we had um, issues. <laughs> we had, uh, and so we had a little disagreement over some stuff. And I'd like, to, she's welcome back, but uh, we have to talk. And so uh, I, I loved having her on. I love the people that you brought, she brought to the show. You know, in fact, I'd love to hear from uh, Calvin Wimdish again, who's running uh, for Congress in, in Orlando. But uh, just, um, you know, like I say, sometimes we have personality things. And so, uh, but she's welcome back. But we just have to chat a little bit before that happens. But like I say, I love having people, having people on the show. Uh, and like I say, you don't have to agree with me. 
you know, just, uh, you know, I'll, I'll sort of end it there, <laughs> you know, but, and people have done that before too. It's like, we've had folks on the show and every once in a while, you know, there's like a little personality thing. And so we just have to uh, uh, try and get by those or not. Anyway, let me, um, I found something here from the end of uh, Peter Navarro's book, which is, uh, uh, just, oh, I got voices outside my door here. Hey guys, be quiet. I'm on the air. <laughs> um, this is from, you know, how we get like dogs and people when they're really calling alive and things like that. So the end of Trump's book, uh, Peter Navarro's book, Taking uh, Back Trump's America, he wrote this thing. He says, uh, the 2024 rise of, of Trump must inevitably begin with the 2022 fall of the Democrat-controlled House of Representatives. And, that's, and he says, it follows that every candidate seeking Donald Trump's endorsement must first and foremost publicly embrace the Trump populist, economic, nationalist, and the tough-on-China policy agendas laid out in the book. And this means a, you know, a firm candidate committed to, and I'll go over these things, but he, makes this, he made this comment a few times. He calls it populist economic nationalist. I don't know what that is, but I'm really curious. You know, so it's be interesting to find out what that is. In fact, I'm going to have to text my, uh, my folks here and say still, you know, still on the air. We'll see if we can take care of that. Anyway, so if, you, if people want Trump's endorsement, this is from Peter Navarro. He says very clearly, um, this means a firm candidate committed to the unshoring of American manufacturing jobs with the urgency of the Manhattan Project, secure borders, and the equally swift completion of a big, beautiful wall. This one's what I want to ask him about, the immediate deportation of all the illegal aliens entering the United States during the Biden regime. He says a swift return to strategic energy dominance, cracking down on China's economic aggression through tough tariffs and by cutting off the flow of American capital and technology to communist China and an end to endless wars. That would be Ukraine, right? Each Trump-endorsed candidate must also provide an ironclad commitment to a Trumpian Teddy Roosevelt-style busting of the big tech cancel culture not to be trusted likes of google youtube face youtube facebook and twitter well, we've got a bill for that putting all those responsible for the russia hoax in jail well, we talked about that with matt gates uh, and holding the chinese communist party along with tony fauci who we call dr fascist both morally and financially accountable for unleashing a bioweapon and pandemic in america we've got a bill for that too we've got a bill for the economy so the three bills i want to talk to him about when he comes on the show uh, is our, our vaccine product liability, our, big, our end of big tech censorship, and our, our constitutional amendment to remove the power of Congress to borrow money. That's where we're going. And so I think that's going to be uh, interesting. But you see how his agenda um, coincides very much with bills that we've already written. I think that's fascinating. Let me get Pianchi back on the line here. In fact, I get a, I get a text, you know. Still. Hey, Pianchi. Hey, Pianchi. I'm just texting really quickly so I get some quiet outside. Yeah. So I'll send that real quick. Nope, there we go. Okay. Is that now? No. Yeah, well, this is why I love having Alan Dawson on because we did get the squawking parrots. Let me, actually, I've got a couple more minutes. I've got a few more of our... Uh, sponsorship things to play and let me take care of these now too that way we can have peter navarro uninterrupted uh, when he gets here assuming all uh, goes well back in just a little bit oh, what happened to my screen how did that happen let's try that again do you know your way around healthcare, insurance pharmacies surgery alternative treatments and choices i don't 
which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elba Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. Well, I'm here to tell you this is a very proud moment for me to have uh, our guest of the day, Peter Navarro. Uh, he just called in a couple of minutes early, which is great, so we're going to go right to him as he is our guest of the day. So let me give you a little background. Peter Navarro holds a Ph.D. in economics from Harvard University and was a professor emeritus of economics and public policy at the University of California, Irvine for more than 20 years, served as assistant to the president and director of the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy at the White House during the Trump administration. And so it is my pleasure. Let me find my, uh, my little cheers here. Let me see if I can get my uh, stuff going as I'm scrolling madly away. And let me give him a round of applause. Oh, where did it go here? Oh, here we go. Oh, didn't play. That's better. There you go. All right. Peter Navarro, sir, welcome to Action Radio. My brother. How are you? Well, thank you so much for joining us. What's going on here? 
No, it, it's a, a pleasure. I, look, I'm, I've got this book, Taking Back Trump's America. Right now, mm-hmm. for me, it's really become a mission, and the mission is to get the people who are in control of our government out peacefully at the ballot box starting on November 3rd. I, uh, I don't know if you know this, but I was one of only three senior White House advisors who was with the president from, from all the way back to the campaign in 2016 mm-hmm. to uh, what we like to uh, fondly say is the end of his first term. And, yeah, we did – yeah, history will judge that we did a heck of a job on the economy. We kept China, Russia, Korea, and Iran at bay. We secured our southern border, and crime was down. We had peace, prosperity, and security. And I, I you know, when, during the 2020 campaign, when I would talk about the feckless Joe Biden and warn about a guy sitting in a basement who was obviously mentally diminished, I never thought he would screw things up as bad as he as he did. But but having him in the White House and then having Kamala Harris as the president of the Senate breaking tie votes over there for the Democrats and then having Pelosi, who I, I think history will judge is one of the most destructive legislators in our history. And we've got a chance in November to take, take back Trump's America, take all of these people out at the ballot box and we got to do it. So love to talk to you about all that good stuff and what was in the taking back Trump's America book. Well, I actually have uh, I've got I've been over your book. I've got several uh, quotes from it from the beginning and from the end. I want to tell you a little bit about our show here first because yes. you are in a unique show. This uh, we're doing something that's never been done before. We have the first citizen legislature attached to a radio show. We actually write bills, title and section, the whole bit, and we supply them to uh, members of Congress, to our state legislatures, and to local governments. And what we want to do, ideally is join with the Trump campaign. I mean, we are not journalists here. We are advocates. And this is a, a brand new kind of show, and I'm the creator and host. Oh, that's very and cool. I, oh, that's and, very you, cool. I, you're going to love it. See, you're a visionary. I know you're okay. a visionary. You're going to appreciate what we do here. So I just want to spend a couple of minutes describing the three of our bills to you, and then I want to get into your book, because that's sure. where we want to spend the majority of our time. So sure. the first one, and one of the most important, is the Vaccine Product Liability Restoration Act. So I'm going to pull my bills up here real quickly. Uh, and that's our title. And what this bill does is it puts full product liability back on vaccine makers. So one of the things in your book you talk about is making uh, Tony Fauci pay, you know, and all these folks pay for what they've yeah. done. I think there's no better way yeah. to do it than do that. So what this, this bill does, very simply, and I'll send them to you. And I can send them to you after the show. It gets rid of the National sure. Vaccine Compensation Program because you don't need it. Big Pharma is going to pay. It uh, abolishes the declaration of emergency. But the key parts are the parts, the two places in law where it says that vaccine manufacturers shall not be liable, civilly liable, uh, in, in a civil yes. action for damages. And what I do is this is in Title, uh, it's title 42, uh, U.S. Code Section 300-88-22, Standards of Responsibility, B1. Van- and our proposed law is vaccine manufacturers shall be fully liable in any civil action for damages arising from a vaccine or vaccine-related side effect, reaction, injury, death, or other compensational event. So I take their language and very simply just revert it. So instead of saying they're not liable, make them liable. How's that sound? Yes, I think uh, we can have a very long talk about how Pfizer um, hid data from the mm-hmm. very beginning from the American people 
about, for example, the effect on women's reproductive health and menstrual cycles. Um, mm-hmm. Certainly, they've been coy about revealing the threats to young men, young boys with myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. I think I think it would be great to have that kind of liability, particularly if it was tied to uh, what essentially is criminal behavior of these companies. I mean, if if they're effectively lying to us to sell uh, us something, and I hate even calling it the vaccine because it's not. I think no, you're, the messenger you're RNA aware that it's that it's uh, experimental mRNA technology that I think it was perfectly appropriate early on during the pandemic fog of war to pursue as an option. But I'll, I'll be frank, they lied to us. We were in the Trump administration. Fauci lied, people died. Collins lied, people died. Stephen Hahn, Janet Woodcock, Rick Bright, uh, Pfizer in particular. I, uh, Albert Borla, the CEO of Pfizer, should be taken to account. So what else you got? You got two others. What you got? Okay, the other one is eliminate censorship from uh, big tech, and we do it in three lines. So what we try to do here is make the simplest, most direct solutions. We write in non-legalese, and basically the, the censorship comes down to this one section of Title 47, Section 230, which says any action voluntarily taken in good faith to restrict access to or availability of material that the provider uh, considers obscene, lewd, lascivious, et cetera, et cetera, or otherwise objectionable, they can remove. So Congress actually authorized big tech to, to censor and all the, all the cancellation of accounts and everything that's done uh, is being done with permission of Congress, which I think the lobbyists wrote this language. Yeah. So we reverse that again. Yeah. And we say that uh, big tech is immune from anything that anybody publishes. People are responsible for what they put. But that immunity is conditional. Their liability immunity is conditional on them not touching anything anybody posts, not touching anybody's accounts, and not touching the search engines beyond the raw number of hits. If they do, their liability immunity is revoked and they can be sued. And this way you can control big tech through the courts so President Trump could immediately sue, you know, because this law would revoke their liability. And this is how I think you can control big tech with basically four lines of law change. Sir? Yes. Uh, well, let me let me. Not, not a lawyer here, although given all my legal issues, I've become sort of a amateur mm-hmm. one. Um, yeah. The most dangerous kind. Uh, let, let, let us just say that we embrace the goal, which is preventing Mark Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey and Twitter and Facebook and Achai at Google mm-hmm. uh, from canceling us and um, and basically lying to us. I I think. You know, my what I can do, kind of my value add here, particularly in the Taking Back Trump's America book and in the mm-hmm. earlier memoir in Trump Time, is provide kind of the analytical detail about how much damage these people actually did. I mean, you take, for, for example, hydroxychloroquine. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, this is a drug that probably many of your listeners kind of recoil at based no, on all the propaganda the they were subjected to. No, well, good. If, you've got, yeah. if, you, if your audience has been fully aware, but um, I, I guess my point is that there's just a mm-hmm. lot of Americans who were force-fed this hydroxy hysteria when, in fact, it's a more than 50-year-old drug that safely used for lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and malaria. It's like, yeah. And it's 12 bucks. 
And if you use it in COVID, the the the, the final studies I've seen, the latest studies, show that we'd probably have more than half a million Americans alive today, if not. It's like so. My point here simply is that big tech played a really big role in suppressing the use of hydroxychloroquine for the American people. That was murder, in my judgment, mm-hmm. nothing short of murder, just like the suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop information to American voters prior to the election was effectively a preemptive coup by Zuckerberg and the FBI. So I'm fully on board with with uh, bringing these people under control. You know, one of the other options that, that I've heard Steve Bannon talk about is making them public utilities, um, which would be another round. So what's your third one? Third one is a constitutional amendment to remove the power of Congress to borrow money. This is the big one. This may take years. Uh, I'll tell you, it's a very simple amendment. It says Article 1, Section 8 of the Constitution shall be amended by striking Clause 2 to borrow money on the credit of the United States. Section 8, Clause 1 shall be amended by adding at the end, and Congress shall have no power to borrow money on the credit of the United States, nor to print money to cover expenses greater than revenues. Yeah. So how do you, how do you, um, how do you leverage capital to invest? I'm not sure, I'm not sure what you're asking me. Oh, is it, well, well kind of the, the whole idea is... Yeah, I don't know. Be, I, I, yeah. Again, I'm not, I'm well, not sure I, what the mechanism is. If, look, let, let me let's together embrace the goal um, mm-hmm. that Congress is spending us into oblivion here right. and just to keep raising the debt limits. Maybe that's a solution. I'd have to think about it. But look, look let me just say, look, I, I love what you guys uh, are doing in principle and any given one of these things that obviously I have to take a look. Uh, well, that's but, what I don't expect an answer now. Yeah, I, I mean, take your time, look yeah, at the bills, yeah, get yeah. back to us. You know, I just yeah. want to present the ideas to you at this particular time sure. and see if this is something sure. that maybe, you know, if you like them, maybe President Trump likes them, maybe you guys can uh, possibly incorporate them in the campaign. You know, Matt Gates, my representative, calls sure. us the ideas factory. And I would love to be able to be the ideas factory for Trump 2024. That's what the, the, this is Are you in Pensacola? Uh, Milton, right next to Pensacola. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, we got a couple of real writers there. Oh, it's beautiful. You know, and uh, and this is why it's such a pleasure to have you on, just to be able to present these ideas to you, and with you know a bit of luck, maybe uh, you know I'm going to make a shameless uh, request here. I'm hoping ultimately that President Trump endorses our citizen legislature, uh, and uh, you know, and and proves of what we're doing, and and takes it. You know, you guys consider these bills for for the campaign now. That's my bit. Let's get to your bit. <laughs> that's all. You know, that's, I'm really – well, no, because yeah, well I'll be quite honest. Uh, you know, no, no, nervous. it's important. Not, I don't I look, have I look, action, someone like action, you on the show action. all the time. Yeah. Yep. Action, action, action. That's the canon of Steve Bannon that I highlight in taking back Trump's America. And, I, look, we need to rebuild this country from the grassroots up. So we got digital democracy going on here. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what we're trying to do. And so, uh, like I say, we – and I've heard, I've heard you on other shows. I've heard everybody on other shows. All I hear is complaining, you know, raising complaints to an art form. 
that no one has solutions. And it, it seems ironic, and I was speaking to Piaki, one of my callers, he's on the line too, uh, earlier, that of all the things out there, they're all complaining there's no action. And the only place I see that's really making concrete bills that are, that are congressional hearing ready is us. And this is why I'm so glad to have yeah. you on the show to be able to, to see what we can do from here. Anyway, let's get to uh, how we take back America in your book, uh, Taking Back Trump's America. What's, uh, what's the plan? Well, the plan is, first of all, first and foremost, over the next, I don't know, 27 days or so here, uh, to make sure that we win back both the House of Representatives um, and the Senate. And, and I'm particularly interested in taking the gavel back from Nancy Pelosi and stop her from weaponizing the investigatory powers Congress. There's an interesting story mm-hmm. taking back Trump's America where I go back to 2018, a couple of lunkheads in the White House, Bill Stepien and uh, Johnny DiStefano in the political shop, talk everybody into focusing too much on the Senate races. Uh, they were effectively doing the bidding of Mitch McConnell, although we didn't know it. Uh-huh. And we narrowly lost the House to Pelosi, and since that time, she's uh, done everything she can to not only put uh, put me and and and, and Trump uh, on the sidelines, but also try to put us in prison, violating the Constitution in the process. And my point here, you know, whether it's fake impeachments, this, that, and the other thing, if the Democrats control the House in 23 and 24. It's going to be very more difficult to win the White House. So what I'm urging your citizen legislators to do um, is to find, uh, you know, adopt a toss-up race, one where okay. Democrat incumbent is in there and we go in and, and, and take that seat. I'll, get, I'll just give you a couple uh, mm-hmm. to think about. There's a guy named Zach Nunn out in Iowa 3. Iowa, you think it's a red state, and it should be, but the 3rd District of Iowa, Cindy Axney, a Pelosi puppet, um, last seen fundraising in Paris, um, is tenuously hanging on there, so you could go and send uh, Zach a, a little time or money or both That'd be good. Um, I think uh, certainly Joe Kent in Washington is uh, a warrior, literally, and he's got a tough race. Uh, they're throwing everything they can at him in that blue state, but that's that's a potentially red district we need to grab it. Caroline Levitt, New Hampshire one. She was a, a White House uh, press shop uh, person. You got a great chance at grabbing that seat, and then on the Senate side, I think everybody needs to help Blake Masters in Arizona. He's getting closer and closer to taking out uh, Mark Kelly, who the only thing he appears to have going for him is astronaut on his resume. But other than that, <laughs> he's a Jackson Spen liberal. Yeah, it's funny how these these people, these astronauts, run and. And, it, yeah, it's got to be worth, I don't know, five points in a race. It's got to be worth at least that because it's like there's this aura, and rightly so. I mean, it, 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 it just, but, but, <laughs> they're, they're on earth now. 
we have a concern well though. So yeah, we. I'll tell you yeah. quite honestly, sir. There's a big concern uh, amongst all of us who are watching this, just us regular folks out here, that we're losing faith in the Republican Party. And I've been sort of jokingly calling them the GOP, the gilding old party, because I don't have right. the faith in them that they're going to carry forward. They may win in in November. And then suddenly turn around and say, well, I'm sorry, we can't pass anything controversial because uh, Brandon's going to veto it anyway. They're going to wimp out and say, but we'll get him in 2024. And we're really Mm -hmm. scared that uh, Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell are not going to lead. They are not going to do what you want folks to do. It's like this divide between the rhinos and the America firsters. So how do we get past that? Yeah, the best solution to that is make sure that Mitch McConnell and Kevin McCarthy aren't the leaders in this. Senate and House, respectively, and I've okay. waxed at least semi-eloquently on that before. I mean, McConnell, the reason why Blake Masters isn't running away with that race is because he's a pure Trump guy mm-hmm. and has told uh, McConnell he's not going to endorse him for Senate majority leader. I mean, there is that. So the, yeah. I, in taking back Trump's America, I go, go uh, into detail um, about the need to have Trump Republicans in control of our government, what the difference is. You know, it's like the, the, the tradition, you know, the grand old gilded old party there, traditional mm-hmm. Republicans, you know, the Bush, Cheney, McConnell, Paul Ryan, when um, agree with, with the Trumpites, we agree with them on, on three things. I mean, we love the low tax burden for families, the low regulatory burden for businesses, and certainly the kind of strategic energy dominance that led us under Trump being net exporters of petroleum and not uh, beholden to OPEC or uh, Russia or Iran or Venezuela. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's like we agree on that. But here's the thing, that where we disagree, and this is American populism, populist economic nationalism, yeah, I wanted to ask about that, and too. And endless wars. And endless yeah. wars, right? We don't yeah. want Bush-Cheney's wars. Secure southern border. Rhinos love having cheap labor coming up from El, El, El uh, Southie there and and driving down wages for the corporate donors and Wall Street guys who give them their money, right? And mm-hmm. for me, I, I was the tip of the spear on this. We, we um, want to have our American manufacturing supply chains right here on U.S. soil, creating good blue-collar jobs for middle America. Right? They don't want that. They, want, they love the sweatshops um, of Asia. And so the way the, the business model works, if I may, and I described no, this in Taking Back Trump's no, America, take you take Mitch McConnell yeah. wants to be majority leader. Yeah, that's his power trip. Yeah, it's not about caring for the country. It's not about doing the right thing. It's just you know being being the guy, right? So how do you mm-hmm. do that? Well, you go hat in hand to Wall Street, to Silicon Valley, to the multinational corporations who embrace these globalist ideas of, of production offshore and open borders. You raise a bunch of money. And then you take that money and you find your own Senate candidates to run and get them, give them money in exchange for their support for your leadership position. That's how it works. 
Yep. And Trump has been able to break that cycle with candidates who are, are you know, they're, they're getting out vastly outspent, but that Trump endorsement is like gold. So, well, see, he's popular. He's more popular than the Republican Party. It's a fascinating division that's going on in the country right now. Yeah, I've got your criteria here for for getting a Trump endorsement from your book. From the end of the book, it's quite interesting. Uh, A couple of the strategic failures you talk about as well. But um, I had sort of an idea. Uh, Well, first of all, rhinos. We 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 don't call them rhinos anymore around here. We call them transgender Democrats. You can use that. (laughs) Feel free. Um, but the, we had an idea about the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. This is being taken down. It's our tax dollars. It's our tax money. It was paid for uh, when President Trump brilliantly bought oil at a low price. But it's being used for campaign. Everybody knows it's being used for a campaign. Can you take that to the Federal Election Commission and say, look, this is a campaign expense. This, could be, this should be counted as a campaign expense you know, for, the, uh, for the Brandon campaign for the midterms or the Democrat campaign. Is that something you could use? Yeah, I get it. I, like you, you're playing their game in a way. It's it's uh, okay. you get tied up in all that kind of crap. I, you, the right. thing about the thing about you know the the common sense about the spro. Right? And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm old enough to remember when they were talking about forming it. Is people need to understand when Biden releases 10 million barrels from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Um, and, and portrays it as kind of something that's key to keep our gas prices down. It's, it's ridiculous. It's literally a drop in the ocean mm-hmm. of our demand for petroleum. It's nothing. It's, it's like a day or two's worth of whatever it is we use. And the idea that, that he's running down a reserve that in a way which will have no help whatsoever – for our uh, high costs, um, and then leaving us without a reserve when we might really need it for like a two to three or four week interval in a time mm-hmm. of war, it's just, I mean, that's criminal. I'm, I'm, I'd be more inclined to impeach the guy under Republican okay, leadership than, yeah. than take him to, you know, the Federal Election Commission. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, well, I makes sense. ultimately we've got a we've got a cleanse system. And um, hey, let me ask you a quick question. I I sure. had this down for for fifteen minutes. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know I how long like you thirty. Expect, but <laughs> how how much time do you oh, have? Um, so so if we go to ten thirty our time, that'll be fine. But I can't push it beyond then because I got I got. Uh, uh, that commitment, and I always keep my oh, no, commitments on the other we'll side. We'll come back that. after the election, and maybe we can talk more, and uh, sure. you'll have a chance to take a look at our bills. That'd be fabulous. I got a couple of bill folks uh, writers actually uh, online as well, but let's do that another time. Let me ask you more about the book, uh, particularly the yeah. strategic failures, which I found really interesting. The biggest one being personnel, and you said strategic failure number one was hands down the most consequential and unforgivable. This was the failure to make communist China the single most important issue of the 2020 campaign. That one, and the fact that you also mentioned personnel choices, bad personnel choices. Let's let's talk about those two. Well, first of all, let me let me recommend a bill for you. you okay. Take my executive order. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, was kind of my white whale. I thought it actually could have helped uh, win the election. And it was simply to form a presidential commission a la the 
Kennedy Assassination Commission, the Pearl Harbor Commission, mm-hmm. the BP Spill Commission, other ones that we've had, to investigate us and origins of the virus from okay. China. And the beauty of that is that we know that this thing came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, We're not sure yet whether it was intentionally or accidentally released. Uh, We're not sure, uh, but but strongly believe it was a genetically engineered bioweapon. We Mm -hmm. think Tony Fauci had something to do with it. But the point is, if you had a commission, and this is what I wanted to do before the election, you had a commission to figure out where that damn thing came from, uh, you'd find very quickly it was from China. And then you'd want to look at also uh, what the cost that virus has imposed and then send China, communist China, a A bill. (laughs) Where'd you go? And the um, the beauty of that was um, we were going to have an interim report on on this whole thing come out like two weeks before the election. Oh, that would have been perfect. And it yeah. would have been absolutely perfect. Because if you think about it, if you think about it, the, the biggest albatross Trump was facing was being blamed for the pandemic. And it wasn't his fault. Uh, you know, he's being hammered for mismanaging it. And, you know, that yeah. was like more spin than fact and this would have been a perfect way to shift that burden over to the place where it belonged and i it's just you know coming out with an interim report two trillion dollar bill for china three trillion dollar bill yeah it came from the wuhan lab yeah it's a bioweapon um you know and look we should do that we should still form that commission Makes perfect sense to me. We actually are, you know, you've got a really friendly audience here. We had Bill Gertz on uh, back in February of 2020. I wrote a bill for Congress that they could only spend half the money uh, on vaccines. The other half had to be on early treatments. I understand you had 60 million hydroxychloroquine tablets ready to distribute. Uh, I became friends with Dr. Zelenko. We've got an FDA overhaul bill, which I can send you at some time. So you're among friends. And you can guess what happened to my uh, my censorship. You know, the minute I, I announced on March 2nd of 2020 that chloroquine kills COVID from the DDRO study in Marseille, France, and said that we don't need the vaccines. We've got treatments. We've got cures. We've got all kinds of things we can pursue in yeah. addition to the vaccines. And, and you know it because you know what happened with, uh, with Dr. Zelenko. Can I ask you, yeah. when, what was the change? And this may be something for another time, but there's a change. When President Trump was, was uh, taking hydroxychloroquine, you were working with Dr. Zelenko, who was passed on tragically. Um, but then there was a change, and you went more with, with uh, Dr. Fauci, and you went more with the, the government health program. You got away from it, and there was the whole remdes- what we call the remdesivir ventilator you're death talking about You're talking about Trump? Yeah, there was a change somewhere along the way. And you, I have a feeling. uh, uh, Go ahead. Here's the thing. Trump Uh always believed in hydroxy. He always believed in hydroxy, and he still believes in hydroxy. As a practical matter, he was getting his head handed to him on the issue because literally everybody but me (laughs) inside the government was yeah. telling him 
that this stuff works. So what's he going to do? You know, but politically, yeah. he had to cut his losses. And the word came down, and it's like, it's and, and we didn't have, in the fog of war, we didn't have the data at that point. I yeah. mean, for every, for every same good study we had, there was this, these crazy studies that came out, and then you had the Lancet. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if you want to read the whole story, go to Chapter 7 in my first book, In Trump Time. Okay. Plays the whole damn thing out. It's like, it's a tragedy. I, look, it, I mean... It, it, it this stuff works to this day. I mean, people are taking Paxlovid, a therapeutic from Pfizer, mm-hmm. which costs five hundred dollars, gives you rebound cases, and has some very serious side effects. Okay. Yep. They could be taking hydroxychloroquine for twelve bucks and facing far less risk with a with a much higher upside. How does this happen? I mean, it's just insane. Yeah, we're and curious it's about criminal, that. Criminal and yeah. it's murder. You know, it's like and all I can do is keep saying that and as the data accumulates in my favor and you know, eventually, you know, I'll be proven right, but that doesn't save any for the people who died because of the New York Times and CNN and the Washington Post and Facebook and Google and, and it's like Twitter. Yeah. No, I understand. People but, need to be held accountable at some point. Yeah, but I have friends uh, like Dr. Judy Mikovits and uh, Brian Artis and Ben Marble and Jim Thorpe and some of the and Dr. Stella Emanuel was on with us recently. So I have people that if you want to talk to directly either here or I can get you in touch with to get all the information and data and studies that you need because we we just ran eighteen weeks. Well, I got all time. I got all of you that. got all of it. Yeah, you probably I just right. yeah. put, I had a uh, op-ed in the Washington Times about it. Okay, where it well, went on record and say these people killed over half a million Americans. Yeah, because, I agree with you. Uh, that's true. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I, we call it a medical holocaust. Let me see if I can squeak in one more question here. The biggest problem that I yeah. saw also, and I hope you guys can, can fix, is personnel choices. Uh, and particularly uh, if you yeah. can also imp- implement Schedule F, which I read about also. But can you make better – now that you've had time to reflect for the 2024 uh, campaign and administration, um, do, are you lining up people now? Are you thinking of folks? You, you can really plan this out carefully. Well, there, is a, there is a dream cabinet in, uh, okay. in taking back Trump's America, and there's a dream White House staffing. And as hard as I am on all the clowns and Confederacy of dunces that served in the first <laughs> – administration, you know, Tillerson, Mattis, McMaster, Kelly, yep. Bolton, I could go on and on and on. Mm-hmm. A lot of the, the dream team uh, for the second term or, or solid veterans of the first term who did great jobs, you know, whether it's Wilkie at Veterans Affairs or Bernhardt at Interior or O'Brien uh, going over to Secretary of State, Cash Patel, or uh, Attorney General or, or, or um, Director of National Intelligence. So, yeah, just uh, when you get to that chapter, we'll, we'll, all shall be revealed. Yeah, I haven't read the whole thing, I'll confess, but uh, I do like what you're saying. And mm-hmm. uh, we're absolutely behind you. We're behind President Trump. And, again, this is an advocacy show. We're not impartial journalists by any stretch. Anything you'd like to leave us with okay. um, before you go? And thank you for your time, sir. Well, I appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, go to PeterNavarro.com. That's the website. Uh, mm-hmm. You can find uh, the book, uh, take your 
to Amazon or Barnes and Noble. And um, you can read about um, how they put me in leg irons for standing up for the Constitution. That's a fun story. And oh, I unbelievable. Supported your uh, your citizen audience. So taking okay. back Trump's America. Let's give it a, uh, a bounce today on Amazon. Sounds good to me. Let's get you a round of applause here for all the work you do. And keep doing what you do. And we'll talk. I'll send you the, the bills. I'll send you the podcast of the show. You can listen to that. And uh, congratulations. Good luck. And carry on. You're, you're one of my heroes. So I uh, really appreciate everything you do. All right, my brother. You take care of yourself. Thank you, too. You take care, too. Bye-bye. Bye now. Wow. <laughs> Bianchi's here. Let's get Josie on. Um, Josie, I couldn't get you. Let me get make her line live here. It's okay. I'm sorry. Can, we only had half. Well, he's going to come back. You know, I think that the best thing to do was to, he only had 15 minutes. He gave us half an hour. Um, and uh, actually that's a little bit more. Called him, that's the, uh, I accomplished everything I had to accomplish. I'm really happy. Uh, I got to, uh, to present the bills. I was going to ask yeah. him. Uh-huh. Everybody's talking about vaccines. Everybody knows what's really going on in America and in the world, and no one is stopping the killing. I was nope. at CBS last night here on Creighton, uh-huh. and, and you can believe people coming for the shots still. Like, oh, yeah. I, I was talking to this lady. Uh, she was not getting the shot, of course, but uh, she's been vac- fully vaccinated and all that. I told her how to detox and all that, and we spent about an hour talking one of the aisles there. And my heart just broke how CVS have opened a special area uh, to kill people. They have yeah. like a clinic now. They're, they're not in business to sell Tylenol and Band-Aids and candy. This is a killing machine, and they're getting a lot of money. All their CVS have been remodeled. Now that they're like a regular little clinic there, it's sure. very sad. Drug, drugstore very doctors, sad. yeah. Nobody well, uh, he knows though. He knows about you know. He studied this issue, and you know, I, I felt kind of silly mm-hmm. saying that I have all these doctors and things. He says, "Yeah, all the studies, uh, you know." And he does. I mean, he has the access yeah, to information. Knows. You know, he's a Trump senior advisor. You know, but the, this is the mm-hmm. first time that a Trump senior advisor has been presented with citizen legislation, what we're doing. And, yeah. the, you know, the vaccine bill, the, the Section 230 bill and the uh, the big one um, to change. And I, I want to see this is I knew I couldn't explain it all fully here and I didn't try to. But I want oh, to introduce yeah. him to the ideas and then send him the bills mm-hmm. and then uh, give him a chance to react. And like I say, after the after the midterm election, because I'm not going to bug him before that, but after the midterm election, yeah. you know, it sounds like he might be encouraged to come back and say, oh, that's interesting. I like this idea. I don't like that idea. We can support this one. We can't support that one. You know, and at least be in a position to, to have a channel open where as we develop new citizen legislation, it can go directly to the Trump campaign. That's my goal. And I, I yeah. accomplished everything that I wanted to do. I, we got him on the show. That was incredible. I have some people to thank for that. You know, the fact that we got to talk yeah. to him. And, and uh, I think next time, I think he'd be amenable to taking calls, you know. And uh, you got to be patient. And, uh, you know, I'm just happy yeah. that we had him on. We That's had Wendy right. Rogers yesterday. We had Peter Navarro today. I mean, we should give ourselves a round of applause. <laughs> You know, yeah. we're doing, we're, we're, this show Good is job. doing amazing. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. But you guys, too. You guys make a show. I don't do this myself. You know, it's a... Uh, you know, God-inspired ideas and, and amazing people, and here we are, you know, and so now. Yeah, he, he's been busy. Uh, Let me tell uh, Mr. Navarro, he's, I say Navarro. Navarro. <laughs> it's fun. Navarro. Well, I wonder if he speaks Spanish. You know, it's a Spanish name. Do you think he speaks Spanish? I, I don't hear an accent of any kind, or maybe it's a. Uh, I don't know. 
He mm, could. Never know. He has a Latino name, Navarro, Spanish name. That's, that's uh, why I was curious. Yeah. But la- uh-huh. yeah, I was gonna ask, are you Latino? But uh, he was on the <laughs> Supito last night, yesterday afternoon. So I yes, I, I watched the, the yeah, I, I saw that. But you know what's interesting yeah, too? One thing, yeah, and I appreciate that too. Yeah, and a lot of times I don't watch videos just because I get so many. But yeah, you really have to highlight the good ones. And well, here's what was interesting I about that tried. video. No, I know, I know you do. Uh-huh. I really appreciate what you do. Like I say, I just, you know, you know, you got to know I was preparing for this interview a lot, you All know, right. for several days. So and it's one of the few times I was nervous. I was actually nervous for this one. I'm usually not, but I this was a tell. big, yeah, it was a big deal. A you know, and I, well, I got better as it went on, but you know, it's uh, we don't. I don't. Yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm talking to someone that talks to Trump every day. When do we get President Trump on yeah, the show? Then I'm really going to be nervous. Yeah. But you know, I'll, I'll do I'll do what I do. But I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna faint off the microphone or anything. But uh, you know, I mean, I stumbled over my buttons in the beginning, and I just you know, it's just <laughs> it's okay. It, it's a learning it experience, you know. I try. Hey, listen, everybody, you if you don't get a little nervous, what's the point? The video you said, what do you think about you? You weren't gonna say something, but I don't what remember now. Oh, so back to Stu Peters. What was interesting about all these yeah. videos that, that, that Peter Navarro does, that everybody does, all they do is talk about the problems. Nobody's offering any solutions. The solutions. You know, this, mm-hmm. The solutions, the solutions are, are what the things we come up with. Vaccine product liability, you know, ending big tech censorship, yeah. and uh, taking away the power of Congress to borrow money. I don't think he quite got that one, but that's okay. That's, uh, this one I want to give it to him. He give will. him a chance. When he's bored, you know, he's flying somewhere for the next, you know, Trump campaign event. He's like, oh, it's this faction radio thing they sent me. Let's take a look. Oh, that's interesting. He'll actually have a chance yeah. to read it. Cause the, and I, I didn't extend to master it right now. In fact, I was just all I want, like I said, all I wanted yeah, to do was just introduce the ideas. So I'm going to be on adrenaline for the next couple hours. <laughs> you know, I, I could go for a bike ride or hit the gym or something, you know, after. Uh, after what do you uh, think, Bianchi? Yeah, Bianchi, what do you think? He's there. We just got to wake him up. Unmute, Pianchi. Well, it's a good try. Oh, it's only a good try? Before, Congress, Congress is not going to take up anything to change their lavish lifestyle on their own. Not Corruption. Oh, I know they're not going to do it. I've always known that. No, this is why I say bills have to go to the people and to the media and then to the Congress. That's the last, or the states, and then to the Congress. But the Congress is the last place that our, our federal bills go because we have to pave the way ahead of time, and I know that. But let's say Trump, you know, let's 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 use a, a a dream example. Let's say that in one of these rallies, you know, before the midterms, uh, that Trump says, you know, what we really need now is vaccine product liability, and I've got a bill that does that. What if he says that? He doesn't, he doesn't even have to say Action Radio. Oh, it'd be nice if he did, but mm-hmm. uh, he'll know. <laughs> you know, but what if yeah. that happens? You know, what if the what if the things we started today end up in a in a Trump rally? What if uh, you know? What I think Peter, remember when I said transgender Democrats? You kind of chuckled at that. You know, what if with Trump on a rally says, "Yeah, we're not calling them rhinos anymore. We're calling them transgender Democrats." That would be hysterical. It'd also make worldwide yeah. news. But we'd know where it came from. It's it like we'll all be falling off our chairs, going, "Yeah, we know where that came from." You know, so you don't know. Mm. You don't know. But you plant the seeds and you mm. see what happens. In fact, before you came on, I played uh, uh, the interview with uh, Matt Gates, my last one on WBY, where he talked about the uh, uh, we talked about the, the mandatory uh, question on the census for asking about your citizenship. And so that's on the I, when I thought about it afterwards, I thought, that's kind of a cool thing to put on the podcast, because when Peter Navarro, you know, if he reviews the podcast, he'll uh, that'll be in the show notes. Yeah. You want to listen to you know, and, the Gates interview. And, and, and that <laughs> was when Matt Gates had time for us. Now he doesn't have time for us. 
Well, it's before he wore hair gel. I, I think the problem is hair gel. <laughs> Ever since he wore hair gel, he doesn't yeah. talk to us. No, I think what the real no. problem is, <laughs> one, <funny>. just, <laughs> well, he did. He, you know, you notice the minute he left us, he started wearing hair gel. You know, uh, you know, before that, he looked like a regular guy. <laughs> You know, then you know. Anyway, nah. but uh, but here's here are the two problems, and I, and I thought about this. Um, the first problem was um, our station was bought out. WBY got bought out, and the first person kicked out was me. Uh, so that was a huge step back because we had we've already we'd written a bill on the air. I had it on our website. We got it to Matt Gates. Matt Gates reported back favorably, and three days later, Friday the thirteenth, I was gone. That was the first problem. The second problem was. And this makes a lot of sense, too, I think. The Congress, uh, a few months later, uh, switched from uh, Republican to Democrat. So the minute that happened, there was no way that any bill that we gave to Matt Gates was going to go anywhere. He could submit it to Congress all he wanted. It was never going to happen because Pelosi would never let a Republican bill, you know, get into committee or come, come, even come out of committee. It wasn't going to happen because part of the problem in Washington is the committee's the majority party always has a majority of committee members on any committee, so they can always yeah. outvote the minority, so no bill gets out of committee. So I understand him not proposing any of our bills to Congress because they weren't going to go anywhere. It would be an effort in futility mm-hmm. unless he approves them and says, and says something like, you know, as soon as we get back in power, I'm going to submit these immediately because then we'll be able to do something. Yeah. So let's see what happens after the midterms. And, uh, you know, Greg, uh, uh-huh. when you were let go, I called the station. And they were keeping it a secret, you know, like they couldn't tell me why did you left. I'm like, wait a minute. I didn't One leave. day he's on, the next he's not on. And, yeah. you know, I was talking to you almost every day. <laughs> oh, I know. It was great. So, You're the longest standing person mm-hmm. that's, been, uh, that's been with me uh, since the very beginning. Faithful since- with you. <laughs> yeah, you're wonderful. You know, you're, yeah. let's give you. It's time you got a round yeah. plus too. We have, we've done that for a while, so let's give Josie a round. <laughs> yeah. So you go back to the beginning, you know, March 1st. Did you hear my first show, March 1st, when uh, Mike Mashburn left? Oh, yeah. And I was, you know, so. Yeah, I did. What was was your first impression? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know who you were. Uh, That was cool. But they said, like, they didn't want to tell me what happened. I said, so what happened to Greg? Where is Greg? And mm-hmm. they oh, we're making some changes, but they didn't want to say anything. So no, it's fine. Yeah, well, let's be, let's be blunt. Yeah, the new station was yeah. bu- the station was bought by a bigger station, and, and uh, yeah. I was fired. Is it, it, but it was but it was mm-hmm. never for cause other than the fact that I was doing action radio. So, but the, here's here's the weird part. I don't I don't I often, don't often talk about this, but you think about the fact that we had just written a bill on the air, something that's never been done. We, we, got, uh, yeah. we put on our website that has ne- we have a legislative website from a radio show that has never been done. We got a favorable opinion from a sitting member of Congress. That's never been done. So we have three never been done's in a mm-hmm. row. So it's not like mm-hmm. I was doing a bad job. It's not like I wasn't showing up. It's not like I was drunk on the air. It's you not like I was fun. swearing or doing things that were, we were actually making history. And yeah. that's what got me fired. <laughs> you know, it's kind yeah. of ironic when you think about it. <laughs> But I, you know, you but, uh, that, was, that was listen. It was their mm-hmm. choice. It, it was their power to do it, and they did, and that's okay yeah. because uh, now I'm on Block Talk. But it's interesting. That was a huge setback. The next one, of course, was COVID. And this is what I wanted to tell Peter Navarro that ever since March second, yeah. you know, we we said that chloroquine kills COVID. The you know the the, the vaccine is a, is a part of it, but it's not the whole part. Early treatments and cures. So he knows and that, that we were there. Was reporting about it. Yep. Yeah, Action Radio was reporting way back. Mm-hmm. But I yeah, want it. I want yes, to thank ahead. Peter Navarro for coming today. And if he's listening, thank you so much for standing for us, for our country. And yeah. I think we need to take more action. And Action Radio is the spot 
for you to be back. Well, listen, if he starts reading our bills and he starts uh, sending them through the, mm-hmm. the campaign, you know, maybe Steve Bannon will come on and talk to us or maybe I'll be on his show uh, when Peter comes back. Because I asked him, I said, you want to come back after the election? He's like, yeah, sure. So, I mean, that's it doesn't get much yeah. better than that. So then, like I say, we give him time that's to get him through the election. He looks at the bills. He comes back and, and has some specific questions. We'll have some strategies and things that we can help them with. And uh, who knows? Maybe we'll be part of the campaign, you know, and uh, we'll be consultants. Yeah. It, that's if we have an election. I don't know okay, well, that's that's, a, that's an interesting question that we'll, we're going to find <laughs> out in about twenty five days, we'll or is it twenty four days? We'll know. find out. So, so you predict? We'll find so, out. So let's let's put this on the record now. It's on the podcast. Josie predicts there will not be an election. I predict that they they're going to tamper and it's going to be postponed, and mm-hmm. we're not going to have an election. We well, might have chaos in the street. Yeah. Well, we'll see. But I, I but made that's it. That's my you know, opinion. Yeah. One of the points I wanted to raise with Peter was the fact that um, the the Democrats really didn't win in 2018. The Republicans won, but the Republicans allowed the Democrats in California to overturn seven seats. They stole them because they they were reported Republican wins and it was a Republican House. And, you know, and this is I didn't quite get to make that point, but I did make the point that we don't trust Kevin McCarthy and Mitch McConnell. I don't think he does either. No, we don't. No. So he, he knows so that we know that. Yeah. Yep. Yep. There's so many rhinos. Uh, Trans, transgender Democrats. Transgender Democrats. Yep. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I say I'm gonna laugh my oh. butt off if that comes out of a of the next rally. I'm gonna I'm gonna die laughing. If Trump says transgender Democrats, I am just gonna just laugh. Of course, he'll be condemned. Yeah. I mean, he'll get more bad press on that. He may not want to do it just simply because you know the left is gonna go apoplectic yeah. at that term. They are. Okay, that's fine. Yeah. Um, do you think uh, so? Anything? I well, let's see. We'll have questions for next time. He had some things that I don't think we were really going to be help with, like these these candidates, just Zach Nunn and, and Joe Ken. If anybody wants to do that, feel free. Um, I got a show to do yeah. here, and so he knows where we are. You know, he knows we're in Florida, yeah. and uh, he knows we're in Matt Gates District. So hopefully, he'll talk to Matt and say, "Hey, how come you're not on Action Radio anymore? <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny?" Yeah, I was just yeah. talking to your friends at Action uh, Radio. You know, Matt. Gates, Congressman. Matt yeah. Gates. Well, Let's get like him back. Him. Let's get him back. I want, Re- to, remember, I want Governor DeSantis Remember when all the scandal came out and all that, and some of my friends were calling me, oh, my God, did you hear what Mike Gates did? I said, are you going to believe the news? They're pulling the same trick that they have pulled with everybody. Yep. You know? Yep. Sex yep. scandal. Sex scandal. That's all they know how to do it. These, these people are so stupid because you know well, what? they're predictable. They come up with a high school book. They go yep. way back. They did it to uh, uh, Herman Cain. They mm-hmm. they did it to uh, Supreme Court. Uh, what's his name? Uh, with uh, that lady accusing him oh, of sex and everything. Kevin. Yeah. See, I don't think yeah. he was a good pick for the they Supreme Court. He's, he's my least favorite of the Trump picks. Of Kavanaugh, Comey Barrett, and um, uh, Neil That's Gorsuch. Cool. I mean, Kavanaugh. You know, I think they could have yeah. done so much better. You know, we'll see. No, he's good. He's faithful. Yeah, he's good. You'll see. Yeah, I call, I call him uh, frat boy. Still call him frat know, boy. You know, these stupid Democrats, they don't mm-hmm. have new plans, you know? They keep using the same routine over and over and over. They think we're stupid, you know? I, it's, yeah, but the Republicans so don't have stupid. any plans. The Republicans don't have any plans. I mean, you know, and I, I talked about this, uh, I talked about with Pianchi earlier, that you look at the entire GOP, 
you look at the entire membership of Congress, you look at all the committee staff, you look at the, the, the entire administration staff, you look at all the regulatory agencies, you look at Heritage Foundation, Cato, Hoover, you look at all the conservative foundations, nobody's coming out with the things that we're talking about. Nobody. And yet this little radio station no. in Milton, Florida, now granted we have callers from around the country, but you've got about 20 yeah. of us. You know, that maybe I'd say 30, if you count bill writers that are not reporters and not on the show all the time, but there's maybe 30, 35 mm-hmm. people that have come up with most of the ideas um, for our bills with no budget. Mm-hmm. We have no budget. No <laughs> budget. Know, we have no, we have no marketing budget. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm we need some money. Right? We need, well, see, that's a, yeah, some, I'm hoping that well, maybe, maybe the Trump campaign will make us consultants and pay us an outrageous amount of money. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see what happens. You never know. Yeah. You know, or maybe you those know, donors. Right. Get a Republican you're donor. Right, Greg. Yeah. Yeah. The Republicans, uh, I mean, the way I see it, since I'm from another country and I lived through communists and I've seen the corruption of communists and I've seen the corruption with Somoza, almost like a dictatorship, but in mm-hmm. a nice way he was, but not really, because the United States put him in office, the mm-hmm. Somoza family in Nicaragua. Right. But the way I see the Republicans, the good Republicans, I'm not talking about the rhino. They're right. very trusting. They're very, they think everything is going to be okay. So mm-hmm. they let all this happen and they want to put it like the law will take care of it and we're going to do it the legal way and all that. Like a lot of American people that have good heart, humble people. And that's mm-hmm. how I see a lot of Americans. I've been here for 50 years, but we didn't know how corrupt and how bad this this system is, and the mm-hmm. and the Republicans need to wake up, and the Republicans need to stand up for their country, for their people, their representative, and they're not doing it, and that's where I get upset about it. You know, the people in office, but look at look at our people in jail, two hundred uh, uh, real American people. Forget their whatever party they want to be and who they love. This is. This is American people in jail being tortured, being put poop and, and maggots and things in their food, and, and these people are begging to go to Gitmo right now. This, this is desperate, and I don't see any of the senators. I don't see nobody doing anything to get these people out at all. Nobody no, in fact, I was, up uh, and doing anything. I would have talked to him about that if we had more time. Rid of habeas corpus. You know, it's like present the evidence or let these people go. Either, you know, make your case, prove that you have a case or they're out of here, you know, out on bail and out on other things, you know, it's, and they didn't, they've never done that. And as much as our, our members of Congress. These people haven't tried them. Or, no, they haven't tried. In a trial. Yeah. No. There's piano. It's, it's, it's no. not that easy. They owe those people money, big time. Hmm. Those people get deserve millions of dollars a piece for, for being oh, illegally obtained. Yeah. Yeah. They're well, illegally, uh, yeah, detained. You're absolutely correct. Well, they're political. They haven't, yeah, they're political, just like what Castro did with people. Like my cousin's husband, which is the one that had a heart attack uh, four or five months ago from the shot, um, he came against the government, and you know what? He didn't have no say-so in Cuba. They put him in prison for 10 years. They broke all his teeth with the, uh, like a baseball bat that they use, the police over there, by the, I don't know what you call it, they carry in their hand those sticks. They broke all his teeth. Just, 
just because they wanted to and hitting him in the stomach all the time. And that's how they torture some of these prisoners in Cuba. And they're making them suffer. And this is what's happening here in America. This is like a nightmare. And no one is stepping to do anything about it. And that's pretty sad. Only uh, what's Taylor, Marjorie Taylor or something like that? Well, you got you got Marjorie Taylor Greene, you and, got uh, Gates, and you got Louis Gomez. Marjorie Taylor. Are, those are the people that went to the uh, – and I think Lauren Barbert maybe too. Uh, I'm not sure if she went, but uh, those are the folks most likely enough. to – no, well, and the, the other problem is they didn't have writs of habeas corpus. They didn't have a judge's order to have these people released. They just wanted to go visit. You know, and if the if the no. uh, when they come out, yeah, you know, uh-huh. each and every last one of them should walk out of there butt naked. <laughs> that way, it will have a tremendous effect on the viewership. It's worse than a concentration camp of World War Two. Come out of there butt naked. Yeah, and let me tell you, let me tell you, when you're when you're in prison, uh. Like, these people have done nothing wrong, and they know it in their heart and their mind. It's like if they came and arrested me only because I was I was in the marching and supporting my president. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a Christian woman, businesswoman. Um, you know, I'm waiting. Come and get me. I, I'm waiting for them. Please, come. I can hardly wait. Uh, they might. <laughs> well, look yeah. at me. I mean, I, yeah. I started a citizen legislature. I mean, what are they going to say about that? You know, I've been opposing uh, government, both uh, both parties, you know, since uh, since we started the show, but really since COVID, because the policy has been all wrong. You know, that's why I was glad to ask Peter about the 60 million. And he, he, you know, I knew he had the 60 million hydroxychloroquine tablets ready to go. Um, the fact that, yeah. uh, you know, he but I was really curious. We didn't get a really good chance to explain it, but the, I wanted I was curious about the transition from, you know, from the, uh, the hydroxychloroquine. Uh, to what I thought was the good policies with uh, Dr. Zelenko to transferring over to, uh, you know, Dr. Fascist and sort of that, that, that transition that happened when they went more to the vaccines and the, and the mandates and the masks and things like that. And Peter explained pretty well that mm-hmm. Trump was just swamped with everybody was opposing him. And that's the bubble. You know, that's, the, that's the problem with the bubble. But out here, you know, in America, we were, we were supporting mm-hmm. Trump and we were supporting Dr. Zelenko and we were supporting yeah. early treatments. Since the beginning, since yeah. February of 2020. And we never wavered. We never, never for a second questioned what we were doing. We knew we were right. We've been proven right. But I wanted to tell Peter that so that he knew that he was among friends, that you've got a, a you know, yes, we've got yes. a sympathetic audience. So that, uh, you know, he, yeah. Well, that, we told him, yeah, so I'm glad he knew. And he yeah. understood, once he understood that, that I think he was able to, to be more direct and say that half a million people were killed needlessly. I think it's more than that. I think it's more like 900,000 because I think we could have yeah. saved 90% what? at least. Of those people, yeah. What I want to see, what I want to uh-huh. see, and I can hardly wait for it. What I want to see is the CDC, FDA leaders arrested and being charged. Well, for that's part of the book. Crimes against humanity. Yeah, that's, that's part of uh, because part of the goals. Like when of, a hurricane, when yeah. a hurricane is coming, all these people say, "Oh, make sure you get your flashlight, get your water, get your batteries, get your mask, get everything." The CDC, the FDA, whoever over there should have been saying, hey, you need to take ivermectin, you need to take hydroxychloroquine, or you need to take a lot of acid, a lot of vitamin C, D, and zinc. They didn't give us no protocol. They didn't give us nothing. They want us for people to go, oh, you got COVID, you go home and, uh, and, and go ahead and, and write it out at home, give it to the kids, give it to the husband, give it to everybody, and then come back five days later, get that test again up your nose, which is like getting the vaccine. 
so you can be put in the ventilator. You know, these people are criminal, these people are evil, and they all need to be arrested and put in Gitmo. No, I agree. No, I put them in the D.C. jail (laughs) with with a new warden and new guards. No, no, D.C. jail is nothing. Put them in Gitmo. Or or, or send them directly to Cuba or Venezuela. (laughs) That would be the best. Yeah, banishment, exile. Yeah, we'll we'll pick an island. They're like maggots. These people are like maggots sucking up our money. You know, and these people are criminals. But you can They're never criminal, punish. All of them. You can, but you can never punish. You know, Doctor Fascist enough. There's nothing you could do to him to make no. up for the million people he's You're killed, right. and the probably six million people nationwide. I mean, worldwide. There's nothing you can do to equal the damage that he's done. So all you can do is, well, we'll is just the, move we'll on and make the sure. We'll take the MS-13 to take care of them. <laughs> yeah, but that's that's yeah. But even so, I mean, death penalty is not. Oh, you don't know what up they do. For, well, <laughs> do. yeah, actually, yeah, you've told me some of the things. That I do, do because um, I'm, one of my cousins is on MS-13. Okay, she brags about all the stuff I shown it about years ago when I got to see him at the farm. I said, oh, I need to stay away from him. He doesn't even know where I live. I'm afraid of him. Yeah. Wow. These people really, these people really, really know how to torture people like bad, bad. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I've is, uh, I've heard the stories, bad. and and you know I can imagine you know quite a bit. So uh, yeah, without going into the details, yeah. But here's the no. here's the the question though, and the cartels are the same. They're as bad as the gangs, right? What the cartels do? The gangs are worse. The cartels they just want the money, the drugs, the guns. The, the MS-13 love, love to see you suffer. Yeah. No, they're like yeah, the Gestapo. They they're, 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 they're like the Holocaust uh, camps. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. interesting. I, well, I, I say the MS-13 are worse than the cartel. Oh, yeah. Because the cartels, they just cut your head off, and that's about it. One, two, three. The MS-13, they love to see you suffer, and that's what my cousin was telling us at the farm when, when he was there. I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, he was like a. He'd be interesting to have on the show, but I I don't want to endanger your safety. Oh no, I don't want to have him on the show. Okay. No, I'm afraid of him. No. See, I'm curious. Well, you know, I'm just. uh, If a gang member wants to call the show, we'll we'll sort of screen him and hope for the best and see what happens. But I might, I probably have to mute and probably have to uh, destroy that episode. No, you don't want him. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. They'll come well, up what to if, you. Uh, you know, and I thought about this too as I talked about you know the cartels, the solutions to treat them like ISIS. And give them warning, and then send in the troops. Yeah, you know, take them out. Uh, yeah. Does that make me a target of the cartels? Yeah, you probably would. Yeah. Okay, so I, I yeah. guess I better be careful when I say that. Yeah, you or, have to be careful with the cartels. I, yeah. I I was around the cartels when I was in dentistry in the eighty. I know exactly how they do it. And when people are accusing O.J. Simpson from be cutting his wife and all that, he didn't do it. He didn't do it because. I was around all the cartels, and I know exactly what happened. When you get involved with drug dealers and you don't do what you're told, your neck goes bye-bye. And that's what happened to O.J. Simpson's wife and boyfriend. They got involved with the wrong people, and that's what they got. So O.J. didn't do it? This is news. I don't think so. As much okay. as I don't like him, I don't think he did. No. No. Because I know the routines, how the cartels Why wouldn't this come out in trial? Why wouldn't wouldn't it have come out in trial that they had? They didn't uh, want to listen to me. I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, is that wanna, what happened? They didn't want to listen to me. Way did back, you, did, I did you call the prosecutors, or or did you call the defense, or who did you did you call anybody in the trial? 
Who didn't listen to you? No, but I was telling I was telling a lot of people when the thing was going on, and then I found out about his house in Miami. I knew exactly where his house was, huh. and but nobody wanted to talk to me. So, you know, I'll so, talk whatever. To you. Okay. Hey, listen. Yeah. Do this report. You know, come back next Look, Tuesday and give us a give us the report as you see it. I mean, that'd, that'd be interesting. Look, Greg. Uh-huh. A man, when a man beats up and beats up and beats up his wife and then kill her, I'm an example of that. My dad beat up my my mom all the time. My father used to beat up my mother with a machete, but now with a sharpen, with a flat, all the time. My mom was beat up like that, like an animal. Wow. And O.J. Simpson was abusing, abusing, but I don't think I don't think he was the one. No, she had got involved with this guy and the and the cartels and the restaurant with drugs cocaine and uh you don't mess up with cartels oh no you don't mess up with cartels yeah i i personally knew one in miami that they messed up big time with cartels and they came and cut the throat and the wife they left her for dead but thank god she's alive wow. and i knew the husband they were coming after all the family oh yeah so what did they there was um, so many so what did nicole brown simpson do was she she was associating with cartel members you're saying well, I don't know. What I'm saying is something, they were doing something in my mind thinking because the cartels, if you don't obey, if you don't do what they want, they come up to your neck, and that's typical. Now, okay. things have changed. Things have changed in Mexico with cartels. Now they don't cut your neck because now they're involved with terrorist Muslims. So now what the cartels are doing with the Muslims in Mexico, they just cut your head off completely. They're not playing around anymore with just cutting the neck like before and left you bleeding to death. Now the whole thing comes off. So that's that's what's happening in Mexico because they have learned from the terrorist Muslims in mm-hmm. Mexico, taking over Acapulco, uh uh, all these different resorts, they're taking over a lot of the businesses. They're in control. The cartels, yeah. Acapulco. You and you're saying the they learn it from the Muslims? How does how does that figure in? Yeah. And then we'll we'll end up the week here pretty soon. Because before they just they just before they just hurt your neck for you to bleed to death. But now right. things have changed since the Muslims are involved with the cartels, taking over the farmers. Uh, there's horrible stories. Uh, happening in Mexico with the avocado farmers. Remember when the avocado shortage and all the stuff? Because a lot of the cartels of the Muslims were taking over their farms. I did a report uh, on that. Farm. The great avocado yeah, shortage. People laughed at me and I said, no, this is we important did. stuff. Yeah. This is a big market. This is big. This is a multi-billion dollar business. Yeah. Yeah, people but don't But the cartels with the Muslims have taken over a lot of the farms. In Mexico, yeah, they have murdered many, many farmers, owners, families. Wow. Yeah, the whole family. On one no farm idea. alone, they murdered 40, 40 workers. Wow. And then they took for, all the For children, what purpose? And that's where they come in. Uh, to start planting uh, poppy seeds and start uh, oh, okay. for, uh, marijuana and all that. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're growing drugs instead of uh, produce. Instead of avocado, yeah, avocado. Yeah, uh, they were coming to some of the farmers, a different farmer, but not just avocado. They will come to a farmer and they say, give me $50,000 right now. And the gang of the cartels are there. And uh-huh. the owner's like shaking on his pants. He doesn't have 50000 cash right there, especially, you know, American dollars. 
and then uh, it's too bad if you don't have it with you. And one of the farms, they took about 40 members and about 50 children they kidnapped. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the uh, poor people, farmers, uh, they come with their children, and the children are playing outside all day long while the mom and dads are working at the farm. So the kids are running loose. So that's how they've been getting a lot of the children to kidnap them, you know, uh, from farmers, from workers. Or they go to different barrios, you know, like barrios in the neighborhood, and they Mm -hmm. take the kids. Look at look at all the teenagers arriving to New York City by buses in front of our faces on TV, and no one is doing anything. Where are those young teenagers are going? I want to know that. Where are my Latino peoples are going right now? Interesting. But I know what they're doing. They're trafficking. Yeah. yeah. Our government is trafficking. Anyway, I don't want to get into. No, that's okay. Let's, let's, this is all show? stuff we should talk about. In fact, next week I'm going to try and I want to do some investigating for Monday show and, and probably Tuesday show too on where the money's going from Ukraine. And we know it's getting there, but the question is where does it and go the from bank there? Accounts. What do you think? Well, I know, but it's I want to look into it more. I want, I want details. Chelsea, you know me. I need details. I need I'm I need confirmation. I'm, I've, I've got my investigative uh, nose on this, so you know I got to I got to find out. Nothing. They're not going to tell yeah. you. Well, no, the, but uh, listen, you know me. I can put two and two together. I can read several reports and well, do a pattern. Yeah, trust me. Good. It's not my first you rodeo. Tell me where. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But they're they're, they're stealing the money from the American yeah. people. I know they are. So that's well, exactly let's look and see who's. Uh, you know, I'm going to look into property in the United States. I'm going to look into Ukrainian holdings. I'll look into anything I can. I'll, look, I'll check out Burisma's mm-hmm. uh, annual report. I mean, who knows? I don't know what I'm going to look into. Let's just start looking. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we don't have any major this, guests. You're probably going to find something. Yeah. Well, yeah. this is well. We got some changes coming up to Action Radio too because um, we've lost like half our reporters in the last two weeks. Mm. You know, big change. Jim can't make it anymore. Um, Mike will be back next week. Mike Clinch will do the, the will do our, our Science Friday. Uh, Amber uh, uh-huh. is still here, and, and Shirley's still here for Fridays. There is no Thursday reporter because the doctor's panel ended. So that's we're starting. All new Thursdays. Yeah, you're done with that. That's completely open. Uh, Wednesday, Captain Tom Stewart left, and uh, our wellness women have left. So there's two hours on Wednesday. Uh-huh. Uh, Tuesday, I think we've got Julia Ramos. It's me. Um, and you. Well, yeah, we've got the. We've got. Uh, let me see. You and who's before you? Uh, oh, Brianna Cannon, government uh, inquiry. So we got Brianna. Brianna. We got you. Uh, yeah, Brianna. Let me. Mm-hmm. And then we got then we got an hour open. And then we've got uh, Juliet Ramos at uh, nine o'clock. Uh, Wednesdays, the first uh, hour is full. We've got uh, Bill Fecky and uh, Wendy Arthur. We've got Bill's report and the yeah. Oh My God report. And then eight nine o'clock, we got two hours open on Wednesday. We got three hours open on Thursday. I got five hours, you know, for new oh, reports wow. and investigations <laughs> and things. And Friday's full. Friday's full. And Monday's full. Well, I'm, I'm maybe, keeping Mon- maybe Monday. We, we have an talk, extra. Maybe we can, Maybe we on Thursday we can talk about conspiracy. <laughs> well, that sounds good. Well, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah. listen, if you want to do a conspiracy hour in addition to your regular report, and now yeah, Josie Cossie with the Action Radio, I'll announce it too. Conspiracy. And now Josie Cossie with the Action Radio Conspiracy Report. <laughs> yeah. Actually, if you want to do that, all. if you want to do that, if you want to like a, if you want to do two reports, do your Latino report and then go right into the conspiracy report. That would be Same funny. Day? Yeah, why not? Or do you want to do it two different okay. days? It's up to you. 
No, I think, think about it. the same day for half an hour, yeah. <laughs> yeah usually <laughs> my show should be half an hour, you know, when I do my report. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. But if you want to, uh, well, cause we, because we get to talk uh, conspiracies after your report anyway. This is why I think it makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Ooh, there's okay. a lot of conspiracy, but real conspiracy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, I listen, I, I want real conspiracies. I want fake conspiracies. But I'll tell you, next week, we, I don't have any more big guests scheduled. This is the week of big guests. You know, Wendy okay. Rogers and Peter Navarro. Uh, and so we shall, uh, let's see what happens, you know, next week. We got, uh, we're gonna we got things to investigate. To, uh, we're going to try to get to that guy that knows a lot about the food poison and everything that's going on in America. I believe he's going to try to get him for you, okay? Yep, I'm open. Are we yeah, done was... with the show? Are you, are you done or no? No, I'm done. we've been done for a while. It's, uh, you know, we, we're done at 10, oh, but, okay. you know, we're, we're chatting. So that's okay. We, we have overtime. Actually, uh, we've got, uh, Blocks okay. Radio has an hour of overtime. I found that out from oh, a friend of mine who uh, who has a show also. I'm like, oh, well, this is kind of cool. <laughs> so if you run overtime, you run overtime. We did have Captain Tom Stewart had yeah. guests. I think a couple times we ran almost two hours with his guests, and and sometimes oh, we've okay. run. Uh, oh yeah, you know, if the people are interesting, I'll keep them on. I would have kept Peter Navarro on for another hour easily. Yeah, I would have. I would have asked him a lot of questions, a few questions. Well, then I would have brought on the callers. You know, Amber was on hold, and uh, hopefully, yeah. uh, and Pianchi was it's on hold, fine. and uh, you know, but we'll get him again. Uh, he, he'll be back. But I don't want to bug him. But I'm going to go interest. because I have to go to work. I'm already we'll go to work. ready to work. I have to end the show. I've got to, the yeah. rest of my life to do. Yeah. Okay. God bless. Thank you, Josie. Bye. All right. Take care. Ciao. Ciao, Bella. We'll be Italian. Dosvidania. We'll be Russian. Wiedersehen. We'll be German. Uh, what's it in Japanese? Sayonara. Aloha. We can be Hawaiian. Yeah, pick a language. <laughs> G'day. We'll be Australian. <laughs> anyway, this has been an incredible week. Um, Again, there's many changes coming up. People, a lot of people have ended their reports uh, for, for various reasons. They've said what they wanted to. Circumstances have changed, things like that. And so, uh, you know, all the best to everybody who's been on the show. But I'm um, looking for new reports. We're going to change. And I don't know what's going to happen. I just don't, you know, because we're, we're wide open um, with all kinds of things. Probably more investigations, probably more me talking, which is not so good. I'll try and get other people talking. But we've got a lot of things to do. We have a mission. And now we're connected to... Uh, uh, you know, the, the Peter Navarro, you know, we have a new contact with him and hopefully that'll lead to some really good involvement with the, the Trump 2024 campaign, even though it hasn't been officially announced yet. You know, we're kind of hoping, <laughs> I think it's just a matter of when, not if, so we shall see, uh, Greg Penglis for action radio. And you can get us here at this, uh, you know, this place every time, every, every weekday, uh, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. I'm going to change our PayPal. Apparently, there's a, there's a Christian one that's, uh, that's a lot better, and I don't like the idea that PayPal is going to charge people for what they consider misinformation that we might consider truth. So that, that's not going to work. All of our discount folks, MyPillow, Care, Strikeforce, you get discounts if you use our code WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws. Uh, we've got, uh, I've got our Skype line that's live. We've got live chat, which I didn't look at for a while. Uh, that's okay. we, we had someone participate in live chat today. Um, and we have all the things that we do. So back Monday morning, 7 o'clock. And I got the first hour, then uh, Jonathan Mosley with the legal report, and then Dorothy Diana, Dorothy Diana with sex and sensuality, uh, and that'll be at 9. So 7 a.m. Central Time, we are back. And again, if you want to inspect our legislation, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S. And I'll see you Monday. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, 
social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. And now a little exciting music to send you on your way. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.